and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, reviews of TV shows, and do recastings all from the nostalgic things of our past. I'm Adam. I'm John. Oh, do I go now? <laughs> yeah. And I'm Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan, your voice sounds a little familiar. Have you been on this show before, young man? Eh, maybe once that I remember. And that's it, yeah. <laughs> Johnny DC of the Dynamic Duel podcast is with us again today for our all DC episode. Anything you want to plug with us right now? Yeah, so my brother and I, we have a podcast called Dynamic Duel. Uh, I'm the big DC fan. He's the Marvel guy. And essentially our podcast is just us reviewing superhero films and debating which characters can beat which other character in stat-based battle simulations. So today, we, as I mentioned, we are doing an all-DC episode. We are doing a full breakdown of the 1989 film Batman. We are also reviewing the 1990 to 1993 TV show Swamp Thing. And we're going to do a recasting, or a casting, because it hasn't come out yet, of the DC comic book hero group Justice League Dark. And can I just say, that when you guys reached out to me about doing a, a DC episode, I was pretty surprised, because you guys are pretty, like, entrenched Marvel guys. <laughs> and I was like, have they seen the light? <laughs> I mean, we understand DC isn't <laughs> utter shit, it's just mostly <laughs> shit. <laughs> But those those early DC movies and the TV shows, that's all we had because Marvel didn't really... This was competing with Howard the Duck uh, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. the early 1990 Captain America movie. So there's, there really wasn't any real competition. And so you kind of had to be a DC fan for films and t- film and TV early on. That's true. That's true. I do have to say, you guys have some great picks because I remember both the movie we're reviewing and the TV show pretty fondly from my childhood. I remember having the, uh, like, you know, the, the Batman VHS tape with like the Bugs yeah. Bunny intro about like, yes. <laughs> and, and Daffy Duck, I think it was. It yeah. was pretty great. We had the exact same tape. And for uh, for any of you fans out there are wondering why the fuck aren't we doing a Swamp Thing movie followed by the Swamp Thing TV show, mainly because I don't think anyone gives a fuck enough about Swamp Thing <laughs> for us to do an all Swamp Thing episode. Yeah. Uh, I think Bat- Batman's a little bit bigger property. That and also, I think John and I are a lot more nostalgic for the Batman movie than we are for the Swamp Thing movie. Well, and to be fair, because well, I, I put this on the list, I mm-hmm. had never seen the movies. Oh, really? I was only familiar with the TV show. Mm. Yeah. I didn't even know there were movies until actually probably recently. Well, we can, uh, we'll get into that a little bit later, but Mr. John, if you wouldn't mind telling us yet again about 1989. Ah, uh, 1989. What a great year. Oscars that year, Best Supporting Actor went to Denzel Washington for a great movie called Glory. Fucking yeah, that is an awesome movie. I've never seen it. Intense. Oh! Get on the fucking train, yeah. Johnny DC. It is, it is so good. <laughs> they need to make a graphic novel about that movie. Well, what is? I don't even know what it's about. It's a it's a Civil War movie about the the first black regiment in the Union Army. Oh, that's cool. It's got it's great people. Uh, Matthew Broderick, Carrie Elwes, Denzel Washington, Morgan Freeman. It's really really good. I'll have to check it out. Really inspiring too. At the Grammys that year, best hard rock performance went to probably one of my favorite hard rock songs ever, uh, Cult of Personality by Living Color. Cult 
God damn, that's a good song. <laughs> that's such a good song. That was also the first year that the Hershey's Kiss Bell Choir commercial at Christmas came out. Oh. And it's still going on today. It's a classic. Yeah, that's adorable. And this, yeah, you can tell you they still put it on today, and they use the exact same footage. They haven't even like redone <laughs> it in like high def. They still use that fucking standard definition. They just blew it up, and it looks like shit. But it's still it's still a cute commercial. <laughs> and finally, in 1989, a uh, Michigan farmer found a camera attached to some balloons in his field. On the camera were images of what looked to be a mutilated corpse. Uh, This started a a year-long FBI investigation, and it turned out that it was just footage from Nine Inch Nails' first music video. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jeez. Wow. That's awesome. Those are some messed up music videos. Like, that's nightmare fuel. (laughs) (laughs) And that was uh, 1989. That's a hell of a year, man. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well... With that being said, let's dive on into Batman. Batman from 1989, directed by Tim Burton, master of the weird. Uh, Music by Danny Elfman, fantastic Uh, score. Uh, Also original songs by Prince. Fuck yes. <laughs> this film stars pretty much just the main three people. Uh, it's Michael Keaton as Batman, Jack Nicholson as Joker, and Kim Basinger as Vicky Vale. Um, obviously, there are other people that we'll kind of get to as we're talking about the film. And uh, let's just dive on into it. We start with this kick-ass music. The Batman theme music is starts us off as we're kind of doing these tight shots over uh, and opening credits over the Batman logo. Yeah. And just that, that music, listening to it, just, oh man, it dives me in. Like, the, the, this score by Danny Elfman is incredible. I love the way it builds. I love how just, like, dark it is. Like, you know, there's been other Batman scores since then in the Nolan films or in, in the Snyder films, but this one, I think, is hands down the darkest. None of the other ones, I think, are as memorable. Oh, for sure. I think if you played, you know, all three of the themes back to back, everyone would recognize Elfman's theme. For sure, yeah. And I just love how, like, the opening is, like, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, is this, like, the Batcave? What is this? Mm-hmm. The sharp edges, and it's just, you know, stone. It just fits the music perfectly. It just perfectly sets the tone for the film, I think. It's definitely Tim Burton. Yeah, I agree. And actually, I'm with you, too, on, like, the uh, the opening credits, um, just because it's been, I don't know, maybe at least 10 years since I've seen this film, maybe 15 oh, yeah. Yeah, and I kind of forgot parts about it, and like in in that opening title sequence, I definitely was like, "Oh wait, am I seeing close-ups of like the buildings in Gotham? What am I looking at here?" And then it, <laughs> then you get bigger picture and bigger picture, and then you get out to the Bat logo, and you're just like, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> <That's cool>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen this so. film in in about a decade as well. I was kind of surprised because you know me being supposedly the biggest yeah. DC fan, apparently I don't have this on my <laughs> yearly watch list. What the heck? But uh, no, it was it was really fun re- revisiting this film for sure. So now we start into Gotham City. First off the bat, I want to throw out the art design oh, yeah. of Gotham City is 
awesome. You get some very exaggerated lines in the buildings. It looks like it's out of a comic book. Like that first shot of like the cityscape, in my yeah. opinion, I kind of got that feel. It looks like so massive like the buildings just look mm-hmm. so colossal the people are just dwarfed in comparison to the buildings almost like they're like shrunken people the city is such an imposing figure which it should be i think that this is my favorite interpretation of gotham city out of any of the batman films hands down and you can definitely tell tim burton's aesthetic oh yeah i was making comparisons with uh, kind of like you know the backgrounds of, of gotham city with the uh, scenes from beetlejuice you can see the similarities in aesthetic between the two it really works well for batman mm-hmm. and actually i have to say going back and watching this i bet if tim burton had also had a shot at superman he could have done something interesting with metropolis as well <laughs> did you want did you want a nicolas cage superman <laughs> That's what he would have given us, John. I said Tim Burton. I didn't say Nicolas Cage. But they go hand in hand, it seems, because that's who he was <laughs> going to hire. You know what? I hate to say it, but you know, I, I could bring up Heath Ledger again. Nobody thought that was going to be anything. That's true. I do feel But you're probably like... right. It, that probably would have been shit, but... Did you see the costume, like, tr- the uh, the tapes of, of <laughs> him trying on the suit? And he's got, like, that long wig on, too, and it just... He looks no gross. <laughs> That's my Superman. Okay, yeah. but to be fair to myself, I said Tim Burton what he would do with Metropolis. Yeah, okay. not what he would do with <laughs> not with the character. I don't know if I'm sold on that necessarily, just because I think Tim Burton lends himself so much to like a gothic aesthetic that used you know of course tailor made for a city named Gotham, but for Metropolis that's supposed to be like shiny and, and bright and you know like bleeding edge technology wise. I have yet to see anything from Tim Burton that kind of approaches that. All right, fine. Yeah, I think it's two on one on that one. I'm with Johnny on that. (laughs) So uh, now we cut to this young kid and his parents, uh, and they're trying to hail a taxi. And honestly, it's been a long enough time for, for me in this movie. I was just like, wait a minute. Okay, we're getting the scene of how Batman becomes Batman right here. Right, right. Uh, And I'm like... (laughs) Yeah, and I'm like, oh wait, this is not like the com- the comic. His parents, these parents look poor to me, and his dad's being a little bit bit of a neurotic bitch. Uh, but <laughs> it's not Batman. We cut we cut to a high angle of actually Batman kind of watching over the city. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I definitely it's and, and I know that's exactly what Tim Burton was trying to to convey, like get into people's heads, like oh we're gonna see the start of Batman here. Right. But he kind of flipped it, and it's not. It's Batman goes in and uh, saves the day for those kids. Or for, the, for that family. I never really quite liked that opening scene with those characters. Because you're right, it, mm-hmm. it's, it, is, it is confusing every time I watch it. I'm always like, <laughs> were they trying to make us think that this is like, you know, the Wayne family? Yeah, I think so. I think they had to I, be. Yeah, they had to have been. And it's like, why are they hailing a taxi if they're rich? And I, I don't know, <laughs> this, this whole thing. But I guess I, I don't understand why the writers would have done that, like, I don't know. Was it just, like, to get Batman to, like, I guess, relate to this family? Like, oh, need to save him. I think Batman would have saved him regardless. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, but, uh, yeah, I think it's just to kind of, yeah, draw us in, assuming that's the story, because even even this being, like, one of the first superhero movies, I think most people still kind of knew Batman's origin, or maybe it was just a tie to the people who already knew that shit and get that flip of a switch, that kind of bait-and-switch kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It worked. It worked. It worked. We drew us in. We made us think about it. Yeah. And then we see Batman up high. So we have these criminals are coming to rob a family. Uh, they're kind of talking about the bat. There's this thing around called the bat, which, yeah, I definitely do like 
that this whole bait and switch kind of thing personally because I don't need every superhero's origin story. Now, I know we kind of see it later in flashback, which is fine, but we're starting this film by like the Batman is an established thing. I like that. I don't need origin every single time. Yeah, I agree. I think one thing that they really nailed in this film as compared to like other Batman films as well is just sort of like the mythical Batman. Like he's still an urban legend and he's still like this like terrifying creature that they're not sure if he's real and they're like, you know, like there ain't no bat, that kind of thing. Uh it really cuts like like a monstrous figure when he's like just emerges from the shadows and you're like oh shit when he just like drops down i want to point out uh, a pretty good line here he kicks their asses there's just a, a really good line where someone asks him what are you i'm batman and he just does it in a good way i like the way he does that it's iconic it is it really is that line in particular in the way he says it and that was uh, that was improvised Nice. <laughs> really? In the script, he was supposed to say, I am the knight. Oh. Huh. I remember this movie very well because I, this is the first real memory I have of going to see a movie in the theater. Um, because I remember our dad took us to see this. Afterwards, I loved it so much that I convinced someone to buy me the graphic novel of the movie. And in that scene, he says, I am the knight uh. in the graphic novel. So, And then in the script, it was supposed to be on the knight, but he turned it into I'm Batman. So we have Michael Keaton to thank for probably the most iconic uh, <laughs> Batman line ever used in any Batman film. Man, Michael Keaton, he, he I know he's still like a lot of people's favorite Batman. And I didn't necessarily think he was mine, but after seeing this again after so long, he is a damn good good Batman a damn good Bruce Wayne too yeah yeah he's pretty calm and collected as Bruce Wayne which I like uh he's got some some humor which is nice I agree I agree he was a very solid both and I remember I remember hearing of course like you know the internet wasn't around when this movie came out but I've heard stories of people like really being upset by his casting like really being upset like like they were like really the the comedian guy from Mr. Mom <laughs> right yeah yeah don't you knock Mr. Mom on this fucking podcast I will punch your teeth out <laughs> Uh, I also want to point out, so we're here in this scene, we actually are getting to see the bat suit. And so I want to point out that, you know, what what are your thoughts on the bat suit? Because personally, I love this bat suit. It's very simple. And I actually really like the tall ears. Like, I, I understand, like, in later Batmans, in, like, the Bale and particularly the, the Batfleck, um, like the ears get smaller, things get much more realistic, which makes sense. I don't know. I get that. But like there's just something very perfectly comical about and simple about this suit that I think works really well. Or not comical. Sorry. Like comical is in like in comics. Comic book. Yes. <laughs> Comic yeah, book. Yeah. Comical. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I definitely agree with you on the ears. Like it just the whole suit cuts like a really nice silhouette, which is exactly what you want for Batman. Yeah. Um, that being said. He can't turn his neck. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) and it's pretty evident throughout the whole film, just like his mannerisms, how he has to move. It's almost like, I don't know, robotic. I don't think it's it's the best Batman suit that we've seen on screen. Okay, yeah. But the look of it is really cool. It's definitely not the most uh, practical, but uh, the aesthetic is very cool, yeah. I just love the the chest plate. Oh, yeah, the chest plate's gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, just like, I don't know, like the, the bright yellow against the black. Mm-hmm. I, I miss that still in, in like some of these newer these newer outfits where it's just like all black. That never really ap- appealed to me. I, I love the yellow logo. I think what really ties 
Batman and Swamp Thing together is their lack of neck motion. Because as, we'll, <laughs> as you'll see, as we'll talk about Swamp Thing, there's no fucking way he could move his neck either. His whole body had to shift when he looked around. And it's and it's it's a problem that future Batman costumes also had. Like Christian Bale's first Batman costume, mm-hmm. he couldn't turn his neck. You know, all the Schumacher films, they couldn't really turn their neck. And I never understood, like, why that was such a problem. Like, like this cow that, like, I, I don't know. They, I guess they solved the problem in, in The Dark Knight, I think. But uh, when he got his new costume in that film, it, it's kind of funny <laughs> to, like, see Michael Keaton, like, turn turn his, like, head just slightly. Yeah. And, like, you could see, like, the space between yes. his cheek and the, the cow just, like, <laughs> open up. It's like, ah. So now we see Harvey Dent played by Mr. Colt 45 himself, Billy D. Williams. <laughs> Love that. Uh, and he's talking to the crowd, and he unfortunately never gets the chance to play Two-Face, which would have been awesome. Well, he did actually in the Batman animated uh, the Lego Batman, Lego Batman movie, yeah. which is awesome. You know, I, I didn't make the, the connection that he was Harvey Dent until... Many, many years later, not until like I was an adult. Yeah, same. Um, because like at the time when I was watching it, like I had no idea who Two Face was really, because he wasn't like in the in the sixties television show. Right. Yeah, I, I just couldn't make the connection that you know between him and Harvey Dent, between Two Face and Harvey Dent, and it wasn't really. I didn't get my first taste of Two Face until I think the animated series. But by then, you know, I didn't again didn't make the connection back to this film yeah of the, course the yeah the first time i was introduced to the character of two-face was in a batman choose your own adventure book which didn't even have any pictures so i didn't even know what he looked like those were fun i loved those i loved those choose your own adventure books when i was younger yeah i did too yeah we had a few but as uh, harvey Dent's talking to the crowd we also see jack nicholson and he's like this kind of a crime boss kind of guy and this big criminal he's plays uh, this character, Jack Napier. And then we're going to cut to this cop, this ugly-looking, fat fucking cop. And I can't remember <laughs> the guy's name who played him. But actually, I really like the casting because he's like a, he's a crooked cop. Um, and His voice. Yeah. His, <laughs> his, this voice is like I, I, super gravelly and just like harsh. And it's like, what is this guy smoking? Well, uh, you can quote me on that. Okay, you're going to like this. Okay, his name is William Hootkins. That's a good name. And guess what he's most famous for playing? Uh, Porkins in Star Wars. That was Porkins. Oh, that's Porkins. That's wow. the same guy. That's very cool. I feel like he has a uh, different voice in that. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I think I'm sure they did something to it. <laughs> well, it was like 12, that was, Star Wars was like 12 years before this, so. Well, that's awesome. He was also in Raiders of the Lost Ark, but only in like one of the opening scenes. Mm-hmm. But he fits this kind of role of like this crooked cop pretty damn well i have a feeling like he was meant to be like uh, do you guys know uh bullock i forget his first name in the comics and i've i've heard it he was pretty prevalent in the cartoon i almost wonder if like he was supposed to be that guy but they're like no no no, you can't kill bullock yeah Yeah. so he's yeah he's good at being killed in movies because later on he's gonna get (laughs) shot and he died as porkins so it makes sense i don't think i ever saw him like uh, or remember him in anything after this because that's a pretty distinctive Mm. voice I feel like I would remember that. Yeah. <laughs> we also meet Knox, who is the journalist, and uh, he's played by, actually, John, could you help me? Because I forgot to bring Yeah, that's uh, Robert Wool. Robert Wool. Okay. Uh, oh, yeah, he was Arliss, right? Yes. And in one of my favorite movies ever, he was in uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Oh, yes. Yeah, he's really good in that one, actually. Yeah. I loved him in, in uh, Good Morning Vietnam. Yep. So we meet him. Uh, so he's a journalist trying to figure out 
what is the Batman, basically. Uh, and we also meet Vicki Vale, played by Kim Basinger, uh, who's a photographer. Uh, basically, she's there to try and get pictures of this mysterious Batman or this bat thing that she's hearing about. And uh, Adam, I'm going to I'm going to take this opportunity to ask you this question. Do you know where Kim Basinger grew up? Atlanta, Georgia? You were very close. You're wearing this t-shirt right now hey! of the place where she grew up. She grew up in Athens, Georgia. Yeah. That's where we went to school. Go dogs. <laughs> uh, very cool. I love that the uh, uh, I I love I love the scene in this movie as like we're about to get introduced to to Vicky Vale uh when when the Robert Wool character is, you know, walking through the the news uh, the bullpen and that like cartoonist shows him a drawing of of like a bat in yeah. a suit and it's signed by Bob Kane. I didn't realize that until this most recent viewing. Oh, oh I didn't notice that. That's awesome. Yeah, I guess he drew it because Bob Kane obviously is is famous for for creating and drawing the first Batman stories along with uh w- along with Bill Finger. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. That's a nice little tie-in. Now we cut to Jack Palance. <laughs> Who is, uh, and I don't even know the character's name. I don't even give a shit about the character. I'm just going to call him Jack Palance, the actor, because that's all I see. I can't see him as, other than Curly in the City Slicker series. Right. And right. he plays Curly just fine. Other than that, he's just fucking Jack Palance. Grissom, I think. <laughs> Grissom. Grissom, okay. Yeah, yeah. The mob boss. So, Jack Palance uh, is <laughs> so he's this crime boss, and he's angry at Harvey Dent, and... Uh, and in general, he also is angry at Jack Napier because uh, he is suspecting that Jack is uh, is fucking his girl. Yeah. And so he sends Jack on a mission, basically, and then he rats him out to the cops and trying he's going to fuck him over because um, he wants he wants him dead. The whole affair that Jack Napier is having with with Grissom's girl that's another thing that like I never caught on to. Until mm-hmm. I watched the yeah. film when I was older, but uh, like the Jack Napier character b- before he even becomes the Joker is so much cooler than I remember. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah he I is agree. a badass. Like, you could totally <laughs> he, he feels like this this mobster who's just super confident. He may be overconfident, but uh, like I, I'm just thinking about the film where like this girl he's having an affair with. He's just like, oh, I didn't ask you if I look fine and stuff like that. It's like, right. damn, <laughs> he knows it's pretty risky, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. He definitely is cooler. Uh, so now we're going to cut to a very fancy party. We see a butler moving around who we all know as Alfred. And Alfred is played by Michael Goff, who played Alfred in the first four films uh, up until the Christian Bale. Uh, film, yeah, I think so. him and, and uh, the guy who played Commissioner Gordon, I think were like the only, the only mainstays. I would probably say, honestly, Michael Goff is, when I think of Alfred... I think of this version before anyone else. I think he's my favorite. He's my favorite Alfred. Yeah, I agree. It's it, he's it's so iconic that like even when I like read the comics still sometimes I'm like really that's what Alfred looks like. He looks like the skinny guy with dark hair yeah. and like a pencil mustache. Alfred Goff is is definitely my Alfred. But on the other side, I this Commissioner Gordon played by uh, Pat Hinkle Hingle is not. The Commissioner Gordon, I think of, and not the one I like. I mean, I probably think of the animated one mm-hmm. first, but I definitely like uh, Oldman's Commissioner Gordon the best. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Adam, do you remember that we've actually already talked about Pat Hingle? Um, no, I don't. <laughs> because he was the narrator of the Land Before Time movie. Oh, oh that's right. And yeah, he also played that that old 
uh, the, the old dinosaur. Yeah, who kind of gave some uh, sage advice kind of thing. Yep. Okay, nice. So we're at this party, and uh, Knox and Vicky Vale are just around. We're kind of seeing them. We're seeing Bruce walk around. And I kind of hate the way they introduced Bruce Wayne in this. Yeah. Just, you know, <laughs> Vicky Vale's like, oh, do you know who Bruce Wayne is? And he's like, I'm not sure. And it's a very, like, stalkerish way to introduce yeah. your protagonist. I, I think he was so... He was so taken aback by her beauty that he he didn't he didn't know what to say. I'm, that's what I'm assuming happened, but it, it was weird. She is very beautiful. He must have seen nine and a half weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he really gets to kind of introduce himself better uh, when Vale and Knox go into this big armor room, basically, uh, and they're starting to the make armory. fun of. Yeah, the armory. They're making fun of Roos. It's just it's kind of a funny scene. He kind of shows up behind them and introduces himself and. You know, Vicky Vale's all kind of confused because she already talked to him and she says, oh, are you sure you know who you are this time? And he's like, yeah. And he gives Knox a grant just like for asking. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I wish I knew rich people like that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, just kind of a, like a funny little scene. I always liked that one. That one, for some reason, that one always uh, stayed like in my head and in my nostalgia. Yeah. Uh, as being one of like the my more memorable scenes. Just watching it again, though, it is like, an, it's another like creepy kind of scene. Mm-hmm. It's because like it ends with them like looking into a mirror that's really a one-way mirror and they're being filmed yeah and it's just like very voyeuristic <laughs> that yes i guess they're kind of sh- trying to show like how how batman is like he gathers information yeah but i agree and i guess you needed to establish that he has cameras everywhere but again it's it's creepy it is he yeah he exactly he you see him sitting down to like you know his big all these different tvs and all the cameras yeah. a setup that he's got and yeah it it uh it's fucking, uh, the, yeah, better way to put it. Exactly. He's creepy as hell with that one. <laughs> Did anyone else think that he got from that room to the Bat Cave a little too quickly? Yeah. <laughs> it, was very, <laughs> it was very easy. There's a door straight from that room to the Bat Cave. Yeah. Which, yeah. by the way, is my favorite Bat Cave. Like, still. Yeah. With, like, like, the just, like, the computer and, like, the ladders and, like, the vault where he keeps his suit. It's the coolest. Uh, but he was, he went to also to the Bat Cave to check on some footage uh, of Commissioner Gordon, who was being told about Jack who had left the party. And so uh, Batman Bruce Wayne needs to put on the suit and head out there, basically. Um, so we're going to cut to Jack Napier. He opens up a safe, uh, which is empty. So he knows he has been ratted out and then starts a shootout with the cops. And at this point, in comes Batman. This is the first time where Commissioner Gordon finally sees Batman. And so now yeah. he knows this rumor is true. So it's just kind of like, yeah, I, I do really like that we're on that early stage where Batman's established, but he's still a mystery. Yeah. Yeah. And so now he's starting to get less and less of a mystery, he's starting to unveil to the rest of the city. And that's what we're experiences, experiencing, which is really cool. Do you guys like seeing the Joker's origin story? No. Straight up, no. <sighs> no, not really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, it fits in this movie, but as an overall, but that's, I'm I, separating Joker from this movie. It works as this film all on its own. It's okay. Yeah. But f- for as much as you know about the Joker and like you see him in other parts of media, including the comics, including the animated show, including every other version that they've had, I don't want to see it. I don't like it. I don't need it. But I get it. And mm-hmm. being so early of a of a comic book movie, I get why they would do that for this film. Yeah. 
I know it's I, I know it's kind of been a, it's an old trope at this point talking about how good Heath Ledger's Joker was and not just how good he acted as the Joker but how they told that story of not giving us a, a background on him and anytime they do give us a background it's completely different <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't yeah. you know like how they treated the Joker in that yeah, movie that was the way to is, do it <laughs> is just as important as how he played it yeah. And I think that plays a, a big part into how nostalgic we kind of are now. This, I mean, at this point, it's been 10 years. How nostalgic we are for how well he played that role. And I wish they would continue to treat it that way because giving an origin really does just, it takes the mystery. It takes the fun out of the character. And now we're getting good. I know. Now we're getting the, the new the Joker origin film. Jo- which yeah. I have no desire for at all. Did, actually, did you guys see the the test footage? Yep, was creepy as hell. He looks like uh, he does not look like the Joker. He looks like a weird demonic bozo. Oh no, it's it's not Joker makeup. It's clown makeup. It's uh, you know it's an origin story. So I, I think this is before he becomes the Joker. I think Warner Brothers is gonna make us pay to see the final jo- Joker makeup, which yeah. I think they should. No, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to that more now than I was before because I agree the the whole Joker origin thing kind of kind of upsets me and I agree with with you Adam as well that it, it does work in this film and it's kind of interesting to see him fall into that vat of chemicals it's a very killing joke which I've heard is is Tim Burton's like favorite Batman storyline and that storyline is essentially the origin of the Joker where he falls into the vat of chemicals it was knocked in by Batman so so I th- I think that's probably why it's in this film so yeah as we kind of mentioned yeah in this scene We've kind of brought it up already, but like here, Jack killed killed Porkins, uh, <laughs> and also Batman and Joker kind of fight, and he ends up falling into this vat. Batman uh, escapes, and here at the kind of the scene ends with this white and green hand that's kind of reaching up from like, this water outside of Axis Chemicals. It's like Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, very much so. Uh, just a very kind of creepy shot, ominous of of what is to come. Now we have a wonderful date scene with uh, with Bruce Wayne and Vicky Vale. Uh, it's just it's kind of has some good comical moments. I always remember that they start off on complete opposite sides of this long ass dinner table, and they're trying to talk to each other and have this date. It's just it's funny, but uh, it, they end up kind of ditching that big ass table and just kind of have a nice cute little dinner with Alfred and you kind of get a good little sense of Batman's relationship with Alfred, which is nice. I do like that scene for that. Yeah. It kind of like hints at sort of like the, the playboy persona of Bruce Wayne and that like he initially tries to put on like eating the, he eat like he eats in this big fancy room all the time. And then like she calls him out on it and he's like, uh, maybe I don't think I've ever been in this room. Yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> then, then we get so, sort of like a more intimate look at, at Bruce Wayne just shows like the relationship he has with, with Alfred. Now we cut to this random doctor and we have Jack Napier in bandages and he's like unwrapping you know, his the bandages off his face and he has this mirror and he looks at himself, which we don't see any of it yet. Right. We're like just on the back of his head, which I like a lot, actually. It's a fantastic scene. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a really fantastic scene. It's it's super uh, just creepy seeing like the rusted tools. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, no, <laughs> but yeah, just it's like so twisted. His laugh and the, just like it, it's creepy as hell. I remember being afraid of it, this scene as a kid. And I don't know if it's just like Jack Nicholson's like crazy hair and his mannerisms that we don't see anything. So it's just like worse in your mind. But yeah, I just remember being scared of that as a kid. Yeah. I mean, it ends. His it has a very good laugh at the end of that scene. And it just it oh, works yeah. really, yeah. really well. 
Now we're going to cut to Jack Palance. Uh, Curly is in his apartment. Jack returns. And now here is where we finally see him kind of revealing himself as the Joker. It, it's it kind of like a slow, slow walk out of the shadows. And you never re you don't see his face early on. It's just kind of like, oh, wait, he, you can tell that he's kind of got a whiter face than normal until yeah. he finally like really steps out. And then it's just like, oh, shit. That's kind of cool. And that scene is creepy, too, because because you could see, like, the, the slight hint of his face. And it just reminds me of, like, I don't know, like something from The Exorcist or just it's like it's scary. It's very scary, like almost like Michael Myers. It's really a really sinister scene. So, yeah, I mean, it is exactly it's sinister until when he then starts to basically uh, once he shoots Jack. And you get like this circus music going on, yeah, and then yeah. it's kind of it's still it's still sinister, but it's got that comical Joker element, which works really well for the character. Yes. Yeah, and he's like dancing and shooting. Mm-hmm. Yes. We cut back to Bruce and Vale. They get it on. Way to go! I am very. <laughs> <laughs> they had some sex. That's like pretty risque because like she was completely drunk. Yeah, that is true. If you're a comic fan, you know that like Bruce Wayne doesn't drink yeah so like he she seemed way more drunk than he did if he was drunk at all yeah you know what i i didn't even think about that but you're right like she was definitely drunk like that was established they stayed together and he was not drunk and then we know that they had sex she even says it later in the film right and so yeah did did is did bruce wayne take advantage of vicky vale holy he shit did. we could go down a rabbit hole here he did <laughs> he absolutely did and that's why this film is bullshit that's, that's why this film sucks <laughs> Which you know, again, you don't think about it until you watch it when you're older. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you're you are honestly correct though. I just I even didn't it didn't strike me even watching it. But like, yeah, that's a that's that's a problem. <laughs> it is. Yeah, we'll we'll move on. Uh, Vale leaves real quick. Can we talk about like when she wakes up in the middle of the night and he's just like swinging yes. upside down? Yes. Oh yes. So like, what the shit was that? Like even when I was younger, I was like, what the shit was that? It was weird. I, I do, yeah, definitely remember that. He's like, yeah, on that upside down hanging thing, swinging like a bat. And, you know, that's what they're, they're playing up that element of, oh, he is a bat. Yeah. But it's stupid. It was stupid. It was dumb. Maybe he just has back problems. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, it. that's it. Yeah. That's it. Uh, so Vale leaves and there's, she's got like some, some skeptical things. About Bruce and his and his uh, excuses, but you know that's about it. We cut back to the Joker. He's at a meeting with all of these crime bosses. Uh, one of them doesn't want to follow suit, uh, and so he, he. But he does have what I like is, and he does this multiple times throughout the film. He puts on makeup to look regularly human. Yeah, yeah. Which I I think is kind of cool. I remember that always like confused me. Like when I was when I was younger, like is he wearing like like white makeup or is he wearing like flesh colored makeup but like yeah as i watched it more and more it's interesting that he was putting on the flesh colored makeup i thought that was a great great take on the character just to show like how scarred his skin was and i also really liked this scene just because of like and you see you see this in subsequent films as well but like the coming of the joker sort of signals the end of mob control over gotham mm -hmm. like this happened in the dark knight this happened in this movie as well it happens in the comics it's it's kind of like a great like like a handing over of the baton or but like like it's forced yeah joker just has like he has no allies all he wants to do is is kill batman he is just like screw everyone else. Yeah, he uh, he obviously didn't care about that one guy who didn't want to follow suit, and he does this fantastic uh, way of killing him by using his hand buzzer that like 
<laughs> ends up yeah. burning him to death or whatever it was, uh, turns him into a burnt corpse, which the graphics on that weren't great. Uh, I will say they didn't really hold up, but it's still a very memorable scene for me. Mm-hmm. I think it was as good as it probably could have gotten, like anything more, and it probably would have like skewed more towards like Raiders of the Lost Ark with like the face melting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And then I would have really been scarred by that scene even more. I do want to call out... Uh, so Joker then sends his uh, his kind of right-hand man, Bob, uh, out on a mission. You know, he, he has a very weird way of saying, And Bob, remember, you are my number one guy. I throw back to what I think Jack Palance said to him at one point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do love how Bob puts on his sunglasses and walks away. <laughs> and yeah. that that character, who's credited as Bob the Goon, uh, played by Tracy Walter, who is a really good kind of character actor who you've seen in, in multiple different things. Um, but I, I like Bob actually quite a bit in this film. Uh, am I the only one on that? Yeah. yeah, I do too. He's a good tie between the craziness of the Joker and the seriousness of Batman, he's kind of a good in-between. So it's like, you don't have too many characters that are all on the same level. You have the extremes. You have um, the extreme craziness, like I said, the extreme craziness of the Joker, the extreme seriousness of Batman, and then you have a few in-between characters like Knox and and then you have Bob, which are kind of like, I think, sort of similar characters on either side where they're slightly goofy, slightly serious, although I think Bob is a lot more memorable. Yeah. We then get a scene of Bruce putting two roses on a sidewalk. Of course, we all know this is where his parents were shot and killed. Uh, and Vicki Vale kind of follows him and is very kind of curious, doing her own investigative reporting uh, because she doesn't really trust Bruce. Yeah, she becomes obsessed with him. Yeah, it is kind of weird. <laughs> uh, their relationship, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm not even going to wait to the end. I don't like their relationship one fucking bit. <laughs> no, no. It's... Um, I can't, hey, I'm not going to hold it off anymore. Uh, they... <laughs> have this fall in love by the end and i guess we'll talk to it later but i just they don't they don't fucking work for me i i don't like them as a couple i don't like batman with anybody i only like him with a little boy what uh, <laughs> named robin <laughs> that's it i don't like i don't like him with uh any actual female what about catwoman okay i like uh, yeah he can have he can as long as they're weird as him it, it uh-huh. counts but i think you know in the nolan films they established i guess it's kind of the exact they established he can't have a real relationship and so that's why he can't be with rachel but i, I don't like how he was with catwoman very much at the end either of, of the of the nolan trilogy but that's probably the my favorite interpretation of his love life and how it should be. That's sort of the, the conclusion they came to recently in the comics because Batman and Catwoman were going to get married. But at the end, spoiler alert, Catwoman like called off the wedding because she realized a happy Bruce Wayne would kill Batman. And Batman was too important to Gotham. So they like, they, they, they like to keep him in like this like horrible... St- relationship uh state in 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 dc like batman's not allowed to have happiness and love i agree i I think i mean that makes sense to me but uh we get this uh other kind of this mob boss guy who's like leaving this courthouse uh here we see some mimes walking around this scene love this scene where this other mob boss you know the we see the joker finally like coming out to the public for the first time, the Joker stabs the guy with a pen. That is awesome. And we get it's uh, this fantastic shot and or just this fantastic sequence when the guns are blazing and going around. Everybody drops to the ground except for Bruce Wayne. And he just kind of like 
he's super curious about this Joker guy, and he's just kind of walking slowly up to them. And he gets shot in the shoulder. Yeah. And he doesn't even flinch. Which doesn't make sense to me. I always assumed he was wearing the Batman stuff underneath. He's not like like ah. Clark Kent. Like, that's a really yeah. <laughs> bulky-ass suit to wear under your clothes. Like, it's like thick-ass leather. I think he was just in such shock of who the fuck is this crazy guy uh he was kind of in a trance kind of like how hulkamania when when hulk gets into his hulkamania trance you can't hurt him same kind of thing that bruce wayne was doing right there so you think he really got shot yeah i mean it looked like he got shot like the bullet like penetrated his arm oh no i think it was just more of like a i don't know like a flesh wound or whatever just skimmed oh i I think we cut to uh, a tv and the joker is really upset that batman is getting his press uh, he he thinks he deserves to have all the attention, which I love how he punches the TV with this like like a retractable arm gun thing, like boxing glove. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very Joker. He destroys a lot of TVs in this movie. He does. <laughs> he does. <laughs> I just love the the lines they gave him too. Yes, he has a fantastic line of "This town needs an enema." And I just like, <laughs> that's a really good line. Which is a line I thought was hilarious when I was a kid, but I had no idea what it meant. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I, yeah. Mean, I totally remember as a kid, like, watching this. Like, it must have been one of the first times I watched it. And, like, turning around and looking at my mom and saying, what's an enema? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and having to have it, like, explained to me. Like, I'll never forget that. This movie is why I know what an enema is. <laughs> well, son, it's when this fantastic water shoots up your asshole. <laughs> Oh, jeez. We also see the Joker has pictures of different people. He's just trying to like, he's just weird. He's got all of these, yeah, all these different pictures of people who were kind of like in the area at the time. Uh, And he sees this picture of Vicky Vale and he gets an instant Joker boner. He just (laughs) falls in love with her right away. The Joker thinks, and particularly maybe not the Joker in general, but Jack Napier thinks with his dick a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it gets him into trouble. Now... Uh, Joker is at this uh, chemical facility. It's a very quick little scene, but I just want to bring it up. It does a good job of foreshadowing that some bad shit's about to happen. He kind of like is collecting these chemicals uh, to do something big with them. I like like the framing of that shot. Like there's a lot of good like cinematography in this film, but like the framing of that one, like there's it, it has like good depth to it, and you can like yeah just see like all the chemicals. You see everything you need to. It's just a really good shot. I thought. Uh, and now we have a news report. We get these reporters are talking about, you know, some people who have died from some kind of poisoning or something. And one of the anchors just starts laughing uncontrollably. It's a good scene. I like this scene. And it just sets up kind of the stakes of what the fuck is happening. Yeah. That Joker's doing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're right. It definitely sets up the stakes. I remember being afraid of this scene as a child. Am I the only one who's like afraid of scenes in this movie? <laughs> I think so. Really? You guys didn't find this scene scary? I don't remember being scared, but it's been such a long time. I have a I have a terrible memory that was destroyed by alcohol from college. <laughs> so I, I can't say I really exactly remember that. No, I remember being like traumatized by this scene. I don't know if it was the laughing or just like the look on her face, but it was scary as shit when I was younger. Yeah, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah. Or you're just a scared little bitch. <laughs> uh... <laughs> No, and I agree. Like as a kid, as a kid, this would be one of the more scary little scenes for sure. But Joker, he kind of takes over the TV station as uh, as a kind of this commercial. He tells everybody that you know there are these poisonous chemicals in products that they've probably already purchased. Um, just kind of yeah. Set up. It seems what I I do like 
this it seems like a very Joker-esque thing to do. Yeah. Sometimes characters do shit that just it seems out of character, but this the way that he's like off to just kill random people for the fucking fun of it, and he's doing it out of this completely kind of almost random I mean it's not random, I know it's very well thought out, but it seems kind of random just use of cosmetics. Uh, right. To kill people. Yeah. For some reason, this works. This plot works as very yeah. Joker to me. I like that it has to be, because you, you kind of find out later, that it has to be done in combinations, which ups the random factor. Yeah. Because, you know, whether or not you use these two specific products together will be random, as opposed to, you know, if it was like, you know, like a major shampoo or something like that, a lot more people would have died. That makes it a lot less random, and, and the randomness of it, I, I know I keep saying that word, but that's what seems more like the Joker to me than if it was just a huge mass killing. Yeah, for sure. And it's it's re- really interesting trying to pinpoint the Joker's motivation in this movie. Yeah, I it's, agree. Uh, like, like, why is he killing people? Why, why is he trying to, to punish Gotham citizens? Like, why is he killing the, the other mob guys? I think I, I kind of like came to the realization is that like, he hates himself. He hates the, the, what, what he has become. So he's trying to make everyone else become like him in a way like he 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 justifies himself now as like he must be like some kind of like work of art you know batman created (laughs) him but he hates his own existence so it's essentially misery loves company i think okay i never would have thought about that but i like that interpretation well what would you say like what is his motivation I, i mean i chalk it up to just joker doing being chaos Mm-hmm. That I just kind of allowed it just as exactly, oh, part of the character, he doesn't give a fuck. I mean, I understand with the mob boss thing, that's probably he always hated everyone else. I don't think he ever really wanted to be in power, but I think he just thought he was smarter than everyone else. And so mm-hmm. now he, he's gone past the point of caring and he's just going to fucking kill everybody and show them that he's better than all of them but as for the motivation of killing the rest of the random people in gotham to me i just chalked it up to joker being joker if you will Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think michael kane said it best some men just want to watch the world burn what that wasn't in this movie (laughs) i know but you asked me what i thought his motivation was so that was my answer (laughs) michael keaton said that no michael kane Oh, Michael Caine. I thought you said Keaton. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. <laughs> Some people just like to watch the word burn. <laughs> <laughs> That's our bad Michael Caine impressions. <laughs> now we get to probably my favorite scene, I think, in the entire movie. Vicky is at like this kind of art museum dinner place. Oh. Obviously, I think, invited there by the Joker. We get the Joker walking in with his henchmen and a perfect line as he starts it off. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. And we get Party Man. Fucking love that song. This is, this is I think, the first Prince song that we actually get in the film. I play this song all the time. If I'm like, at, uh, if you're at my house for a party, Party Man is gonna happen. <laughs> but it's just a gr- it's a great scene of him and his henchmen going around painting all over everything, green and reds and oranges or whatever. It's a fun scene. And as a kid, I always was was attracted to the scene just because it's it's silly and it's fun. And so it's probably one that is why I, I love it so much still today. Uh, I have a controversial, probably controversial. I'll probably get chastised for this take on this. I hate all of the prints, everything in this film. 
God damn it. Ugh. I'm not like the biggest Prince fan. I was hoping you were going to say something else. I hope you're going to say <laughs> anything else, but I hate Prince or I hate these Prince songs. God damn it. <laughs> to me, it really, really dates the film. If you're not really into that music, it doesn't really make sense. I don't know. That's just me. <sighs> I, 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 John, <laughs> what are your thoughts? I can't talk. <laughs> um, You're wrong. Okay. <laughs> it's what makes the movie, to be honest. You think? No, n- no not really, but um, <laughs> I think it makes the scene. It definitely makes the scene. I think it definitely makes the scene. And I really don't think that the song dates it any more than any other. That song is pretty timeless. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree. There's a lot, of, a lot of stuff, like a lot of Bruno Mars stuff now has the same sort of influence in sound. That mm-hmm. the early Prince stuff does. Oh, absolutely. I personally don't think it really dates it at all. I always thought this yeah, was... Fuck you. <laughs> I think the giant boombox that the guy was carrying around dates oh, yeah. the film. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always thought that... I don't know, it was just like... It was like a weird musical number randomly inserted into the film. Like I, I feel like I always like fast-forwarded through that scene and just like quickly got to... I like, would believe you if the music came out of nowhere while they were doing it. Uh-huh. Like there was no context for it, but they bring in the boombox and play it. So they're they're jamming to some music while they're making art. That's so weird to me. Like, wh- why are henchmen just like dancing to Prince music? I don't know. He's the fucking Joker. Right. <laughs> it works. God damn it, it works. Everybody loves Prince, good or bad. Uh, imagine like in the Dark Knight, if like the opening scene when they're robbing the bank, or if they just like start <laughs> like listening to Prince music and dancing around. Oh my. That that is what would make that film. That would have won an Oscar. Uh, it would have won the best picture if it started off with Prince at Party Man. Done. All right. So in this scene, uh, we get some you know just Joker being very kind of creepy towards Vicky. It's actually there's some really good lines in there that he gives her. I guess he does like give his motivation weirdly in this scene when she asks him like, well, "What do you want?" And he says, "My face on the one dollar bill." It doesn't quite make sense. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, the, I guess that's his own weird justification for everything. A power trip. Yeah, we can kind of give we can tie it in for that. Yeah, power trip. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, but Batman comes in uh, and he rescues her. And when they escape, uh, he tells her to get into the car. And here is where we see the Batmobile. So badass. This. Yeah, I love this version of the Batmobile. It's probably still my favorite personally hands down i want to go back really quick because you glossed over one of my favorite lines of any batman movie ever you know he lands he grabs uh he grabs vicky and he points his gun at the joker oh yeah and then it splits and it shoots the you know the grappling hooks in either way and he slides down and you get i think one of the more classic lines from this movie which is joker saying does it get those wonderful toys next to like i'm batman it's probably like the most famous line in the film i quote that line all the time yeah. <laughs> probably to my detriment but anyway but uh, to get us back to where we were i also agree i think this is the coolest looking batmobile of any batmobile ever my favorite toy when i was a kid i had the batmobile from this uh film and I just loved that thing. It was the coolest toy. Was Ugh. it the Batmobile that had like the molded plastic cover of the armor that went over the top of it? No, no, it wasn't. Okay. Because I know one of the toys came with this little flimsy plastic cover that was in the shape of the shields that you would just put over the car. Oh, that's cool. To make it seem like it was the shields were on. Which those shields, those shields look awesome. Yeah, they do. Just like, yeah, just seeing it encased in like this plated armor. 
That was cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I agree. They definitely have... Yeah, like, the Tumblr was all right, but it didn't look like a bat. No, it, yeah, it definitely didn't. But I mean, it was it was cool for its own movie, but it wasn't yeah. uh, it wasn't a real Batmobile. And then, like, the Schumacher Batmobiles, those could go to hell. Those suck. <laughs> <laughs> you don't love all the neon glowing right? uh, lights everywhere? No. No, thank you. No. I want mine stealthy <laughs> and black. No lights. Yeah. Just fucking badass. So... Uh, at one point, so there's they escape, uh, and here we get a, a weird kind of scene, in my opinion. I don't really like this scene in the alley. They go to the alley, and he uses this grappling hook. He asks her how much she weighs. It's a setup for a punchline that we'll get later. And so he can't actually go up all the way with his grappling hook, so he gives it to her, and he falls to the ground in the un most the most ungraceful Batman thing I've ever seen. He just he just fucking falls to the ground. Like he doesn't glide. He doesn't like no. superhero drop. Like no. he just fucking he just fucking falls. And he looks fucking terrible doing it. Like here I thought this was this was probably the worst fighting Batman I've seen in a long goddamn oh, yeah. time. You know, I will say for as much as as a lot of people give Ben Affleck, you know, shit, mm-hmm. I love the way that he jumps as Batman. Because that seems very much more comic accurate than more of the any other Batmans. He the way he kind of jumps and his, holds his arms out and the way his legs move to me looks like how Batman moves in the comics. Well, I think the the best Batman scene, like like comic accurate Batman scene we have on film, is probably Ben Affleck's like warehouse scene where he's taking out all the. The, all the goons to me again yeah that's the most comic accurate this version of batman in the 89 film he's definitely doesn't come across as a martial arts master he like no. plays yeah, possum no. like who plays possum what martial arts master plays possum yeah. i don't get it exactly pretty disheartening yeah because batman as a character you know is one of the best fighters in in dc yeah and <laughs> that it, Michael Keaton is not that obviously in this, <laughs> no. in this film. You get some, you get some cool, funny fight stuff, but it's typically you know ends with yeah, just like one punch kind of things. Nothing like really good martial arts. Like in this scene, you get that guy with those with the two swords coming at him. With the, which the guy with the two swords is kind of looks crazy. It's kind of yeah. it's kind of fun, but. It's like Indiana Jones. Yeah, yes, it was very Indiana Jones. Where like, yeah, he just like pulls out the gun and shoots the guy. But they do that. They do that bit like twice in this film. Yeah, once here <laughs> yes, and then later on, like in the bell tower, where like the guy has like blades on his feet. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Exact. Exact same setup. But Batman gets out of it. Uh, he ungracefully beats up everyone. I guess. Uh, here we get the payoff of the joke, telling Vicky that she definitely doesn't weigh 108 pounds. Just bad. <laughs> I didn't like that joke. It wasn't needed. And the car comes and gets him. And so he's got the car kind of on a voice activation thing. But did anyone else notice a very annoying lack of continuity between oh, yeah. a couple oh, shots yeah. here? Yeah. He says stop, and then he puts the like the microphone down. And then it's back up. And His then it's back and up. In the very next cut, it's back up when the when the, the Batmobile is to stopping at him, which, yeah, which annoyed the fuck out of me uh, as an editor. <laughs> here in this scene, uh, they're now they drive, and here we're driving into the Batcave, and we actually see the fucking Batcave. We see the whole thing in its wide, and it is very cavernous, obviously, uh, full of actual bats. <laughs> it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, as the way you put it, this is a very good looking uh, bat cave. I just love like uh, how dangerous it feels. 
like in the Nolan films, like you never really got a sense for like how cavernous it is. Like you couldn't take like a wrong step mm-hmm. and like fall to your death. In this one, yeah. like that almost happens to Vicky Vale. Like this yeah, place right. is is like a dangerous, like deep, dark place. It's 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 definitely the best Batcave. Vicky, she's very interested in Batman and who he is. She's trying to kind of figure it out. The scene ends with. Uh, Batman basically saying that he wants something she's got, and then it cuts to her in her bed alone. He took her role of camera film. Kind of a bait-and-switch moment, because we know they've already slept together. And who knows what else he did. Yeah, he, yeah. He obviously reached <laughs> oh, into her God. bra. He obviously reached into her bra. Oh, you're true. God damn it, you're right. <laughs> Fuck. We've got a bat raper on the loose. <laughs> he, he's very rapey in this film. Very rapey. Yeah, he is extreme. <laughs> <laughs> I did not notice that as a kid, but it's yeah, it's hard not to notice it now. It's so like, hmm, where's the film? Let's check. Let's check all the different things. <laughs> what an asshole! Yeah, but at this point, Batman. Yeah, he, he also he figured out Joker's deadly poison combo, and he kind of gives it to to Vicky or whoever to uh, to get it out to the press or whoever. And then Joker destroys another television. Yes, <laughs> true. It was kind of hilarious to see, like, the, the news anchors with, like, the disheveled hair and all the acne and stuff like that. Yes. Yeah. I very much like that. Um, I do want to want to talk real quick, yeah, about this a scene where Bruce goes over to Vicky's apartment. He is trying, he wants to tell her that he's Batman. I really fucking hated this scene. He, like, he falls in love with Vicky, like, fucking that. Yeah. And he's going to disclose his identity so easily and so early to her that it, it pisses me off and it doesn't feel genuine to the character. Yeah, it, it, apparently all it takes is just like one night and one like yeah. feel up to get learn Batman's identity. <laughs> one night and one rapey feel up and then you <laughs> yeah. fall in love if you're Batman. He's like, I've seen the goods. I'm going to tell her my secret identity. <laughs> that's, uh, that's fucking sad. The Joker ends up showing up at Vicky's apartment. We get some really good lines here. Bruce at one point grabs this fire poker and i would say this is uh this is some solid overacting oh yeah <laughs> where michael keaton turns to joker and with his fucking poker on says now you want to get nuts come on let's get nuts like he goes fucking crazy and here and the joker kind of responds you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight he ends up shooting Bruce, uh, and, and we get a, an ending it with a fucking very interesting line of, Never rub another man's rhubarb. <laughs> and, and that's, yeah. that's, what the fuck? What the fuck just happened? I have no idea. It's a really weird scene. I agree. My Batman would have, like, taken the other guys out from the other room. Like, he wouldn't have had to put on, like, an act. Like, he would have, like, pulled out some batterings they already had in his pocket or something. I don't know. Yeah, so here, yeah, we get another... Uh, TV broadcast uh, that the Joker takes over again and he tells the city that he's going to dump $20 million of cash on the ground and he's basically calling out Batman for a fight in the middle of the city. During this uh, broadcast, we cut to Bruce who is kind of like thinking back on the night that his parents were murdered. We kind of see it very clearly as a flashback and apparently it was Jack who killed them. I fucking hate this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a horrible twist. That line, Ever Dance with the Devil in the Pale Moonlight, comes back to Bruce. That's kind of what triggered him to do this flashback because the guy who killed his parents said the same thing. 
and that's kind of where we get the confirmation that it was Jack who killed the parents. But yeah, it just, I don't need it. I don't want it. I don't want that tie-in. I understand what they were going for. They were going for, oh, it was actually Jack that created the Batman, and then the Batman created Jack, or created the Joker. And so I see how they were trying to, like, intertwine their storylines. Yeah. But it, it didn't work. For me, it doesn't sound didn't doesn't sound like it really worked for anybody. The the problem with having Batman kill the guy who killed his parents is that it makes it about revenge. And I think Batman Begins did a really good job of making it not about revenge. You know, in in that film, you know, it was the revenge was taken from him. He didn't get to kill Joe Chill, but he continued his crusade anyway because it's it's always about it's always about justice, right? Mm-hmm. So having him be the killer, it's like, well, now that you're Batman, and you've killed. The guy who resulted in you being Batman. So I guess you could stop being Batman. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I agree. I I never liked the fact that the Joker was the one who was responsible for his parents' death. And another thing I don't like is right after this, Vicky Vale just kind of shows up in the Batcave. I would have fired Alfred. I would have fired (laughs) Alfred on the spot. Yeah, exactly. What the fuck? (laughs) That was, it just, I I didn't like that. Just, oh, wait, all of a sudden she's just given access uh, that pissed me off. And we get some a cheesy line from her that she says, I've loved you since I met you. Two days ago. Two days ago. <laughs> and, and he was an asshole when he said he didn't know he didn't know uh, who, he, who, who Bruce Wayne was. Like, <laughs> right. How did she love him because of his all of his rich armory stuff? Yes. Like, no, we saw the scene <laughs> yes. where they met and she didn't seem entranced by him. But no. uh, other than his money. Right. But yeah, uh, <laughs> fuck that. Fuck that relationship. Yeah, it wasn't until she learned that he was Bruce Wayne that uh, that she had any interest in him. So it wasn't since she since she you know met him. It's 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 horrible. And I was gonna bring this up later. Kim Basinger's acting acting is just fucking bad in this film, in my opinion. Uh, maybe I'm the only one. I did not like her acting at all, and I didn't I like her in this role. I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah, I didn't think it was that bad either. Okay, well I'll be alone on that one. But I'm sticking to my guns. Uh, she was not very good. <laughs> Uh, but Batman has to to head out. Uh, he's got to go take care of the Joker. And so he goes back into the Batmobile. So he's off to go get to the Joker. And you know that whole thing where Batman like doesn't use guns and he doesn't <laughs> kill people? Am, am I correct in saying that that's a part of his story that he doesn't he doesn't like guns and he doesn't kill people? Um, am I wrong, Mr. Mr. DC man? Uh, no, you are not. Yeah, I mean, well, that's, I mean, there's, there's aspects of Batman, you know, you get the older, gruffer Batman who doesn't give a fuck, he will kill people, you know, it depends on the storyline. Well, I mean, even then, like, he doesn't necessarily kill them, but he does, like, paralyze them and put them them in the hospital for, like, life. Yeah, which is fine, I don't care about that. (laughs) (laughs) But it is pretty interesting, because... I remember people bitching about recent Batman uh, iterations where he was like using guns and stuff. Right. But here in the in the Batmobile, you get a fucking machine gun pop up out of it and it's shooting, you know, everything. It's not. Yeah. And, and at one point later on, he's shooting guns straight at the Joker. Right. Uh, from hit from the Batplane, which we'll get to later. But and in this scene. There's a scene right here where he parks the Batmobile and all these kind of other guys, these goons are around him. From the side of a wheel, he drops a bomb, a literal bomb, and it blows up everything. There is no fucking way that he didn't kill just a dozen or more people right there. Yeah, it's true. It's, 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 it's I mean, granted, I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying, like, for some of the people who bitch about 
oh, my Batman doesn't do that. But they're also the people who fucking say they love the Tim Burton Batman movies. Right. And it's like, you know what? You're, you're a bit of a hypocritic asshole. <laughs> it never bothered me that he used guns. No, it doesn't. It doesn't bother me either. I like guns, man. I fucking love guns, and in, especially in my comic book heroes. But I'm just. I hate. I hate hypocrisy, and I hate. And I hate hypocritical assholes. And so I want to point this out for every motherfucker out there who has said, "Oh, that Batman shouldn't be doing that." Uh, and then, yeah, he fucking did it in a lot of stuff, and you probably liked it. So. It bothers me now when I watch it, but at the time, when I first watched this, I wasn't reading comics, you know? So it didn't bother me back then, but now I'm like, uh, here's here's the the bat- Gatling guns. Yes, I don't, I don't mind the guns. I will say I don't love that he blew up a bunch of people. I would prefer if he just went and disabled them somehow, because it, it seems a bit, you know, I'd, I'd like to have a little humanity in my superheroes. Mm-hmm, right. That's why they're heroes. Yeah, exactly. That's why, that's why the hero's not bad. They're not. He's not the Punisher, which right. which I like the Punisher because he's the Punisher. I don't want Batman to be the Punisher. Right. So now we get this uh, big parade float coming out. You get the Joker. He's fucking throwing his money everywhere. And here we get another perfect, amazing Prince song. This movie would suck without these Prince songs. We get the <laughs> Prince song called Trust. Trust. Yeah, <laughs> I fucking I fucking love that song, man. You don't like trust? I just don't get the dance numbers in this film. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, man. They're not like all doing everything in synchronization. Uh, you know, synchronization. You know, it's just it's just music. It's not it's not a dance number. It's just music. I guess there has to be music during a parade. So why not Prince? All right. <laughs> <laughs> you got, you've got nothing, I guess. I got nothing. <laughs> All right. So uh, now we uh, actually now we get the bat plane. Batman is in the bat plane flying around. That's pretty fucking cool. It is really cool. Yeah, the Batmobile and the bat plane are, are so cool in this film. It, it never really gets topped in subsequent films. The only moment I do want to call out is in The Dark Knight when the tumbler is kind of busted and then Batman turns it into the bat cycle and busts out. Yeah. That's a fucking hell of a scene right there. Yeah. yeah. I lost my shit when I saw that in the theater. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. yes! Yeah. Yes! Like, yeah, literal poo came out of me because that, <laughs> that scene was so cool. But the bat plane is super iconic and they have really good, good use of it in this film. Yeah. yeah. It has a cool look. Yeah. But oh, yeah. in terms of it, like being practical, the thing was taken out by one bullet. Just yeah, kind of yeah, that is. <laughs> but it was a really long bullet. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but the the graphics, honestly, I don't know if you guys like the graphics of the bat of the bat plane flying were weak. They yeah. don't. They didn't hold up. Yeah. Uh, but that's it's. I I don't fault it. You know, that's just for a product of being of that time. Also, the bat plane was a lot smaller than I remembered. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, he uses it and he kind of grabs the wires of the balloons that. Of the big uh, parade balloons that Joker was using to poison people. And then he flies up to the moon, to that full moon. Just that single shot. Gorgeous shot. Oh, yeah. That was cool. That was really cool. But we get we get a fantastic line from the Joker uh, when Batman steals his balloons. And he says, He stole my balloons! Why didn't somebody tell me that he had one of those things? It just shows that the fucking Batplane and all of his toys 
are fucking cool. But he's so pissed about it, he kills Bob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His number one guy. Yeah, the number one guy is gone. Yeah, and then we get, as you put it, uh, a, a scene that I just... I have shot some guns in my time, but I don't believe that pistol, even with that long barrel... I think that long barrel honestly wouldn't have helped the power of the gun. A longer barrel does not constitute a more powerful round. Yeah, I would imagine it, it maybe it helps for accuracy or... Yes. I don't... Yeah, okay. it, would, it would make for a more accurate shot. Yeah, yeah. well, maybe, maybe yeah, it wasn't that powerful a gun. He's just that accurate of a shot. He hit it <laughs> kind of like the Death Star in that perfect uh, spot that yeah. stopped it. That, had, that has to be it. He was like, here's this thing I've never seen before. That must be the gas tank. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, in that, in that scene, though, Batman, he's, like, shooting bombs, little, like, little explosives and guns just straight at the Joker, who he's a terrible shot, obviously, <laughs> yeah. uh, and he misses him. And then, yeah, the Joker with one shot, with one perfectly aimed shot, takes down the Batplane. And now we get uh, Joker's trying to escape-ish, and he's kind of going up to this cathedral. That cathedral was really cool looking. It's just so massive, and it's it was I think it was just a great scene for their final battle. It was really gothic. Yeah, the backdrops, like the the art direction across the board, which we kind of yeah. mentioned, was just, it's very cool and it fits and it holds up, in my opinion, because it's so designed and you kind of like, you it feels like it's a time period yeah. piece, which it kind of is. Right. Even though you're using Prince and 80s music, it doesn't really feel much like an 80s film. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's set in the 80s all that much, even though... All the technology kind of says it is, but yeah, you get a mix of the two. Yeah, I mean, it feel, it kind of feels like it's maybe like in the '40s. It's like a combination of like a '40s gangster film with modern comic books, and it's in the design of it. Yeah, I, uh, I think the film was nominated for an Academy Award for for uh, art direction. Actually, it won for best art direction. Yeah. Yep, that was it. So that's yeah, that's which makes sense. It was very cool. Yeah. For best art direction and set direction. What what other Batman film have we ever seen like gargoyles in again? You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Batman did survive the plane crash, and he's kind of following them up the church or up like kind of not the church, up the the cathedral kind of tower. Um, but he's hurt. You kind of see at this point at the very top of it. Joker squirts acid from his little flower lapel, yeah. uh, which I always kind of like, and it makes the the big a big bell fall down uh, down the tower. Uh, and it ends up stopping the police who are kind of coming in so they can't go up. But Batman uh, sur- uh, survived it, basically. So this leads me to the one question I had. And maybe I missed this, but he's got goons up there. How did they get? Were they already waiting up there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they had to be. <laughs> maybe they came in came in via helicopter. But the helicopter doesn't come in for another 10 minutes. Yeah. They had to have just been waiting. Like, he had to have known ahead of time that that's where he was leading up to. Yeah, I, don't, I guess so. Yeah, it's probably because he, I mean, he wanted Batman to come for a fight. So maybe this is exactly where he was planning to lead Batman for the fight the entire time. Let's go with that. That kind of works. I buy it. Um, but yeah, so Batman gets to the top and we get, yeah, the this the weird martial arts guy who has the blades on his feet. And it's just, yeah, the wiry kind of Indiana Jones kind of style. And Batman just sticks out his foot and hits him in the nuts. And, and then he's take <laughs> he doesn't stick out his foot he sticks out his arm and then for like from his palm he retracts 
like this like I, I don't even know what it is this thing like shoots out of his arm and it hits the guy on the crotch you have to like step it or like do slow motion on your tv because like for the longest time i didn't understand what happened there because i was like yeah. wouldn't like legs with blades be longer than batman's <laughs> arm but no he yeah he like shot out this like retractable thing from his wrist okay but all i know is he got hit in the nuts and then yeah <laughs> and yeah. then and then he's down for the count and then we get uh, the Joker is kind of dancing around with Vicky, who's obviously been drugged at this point. Or she's just really exhausted from climbing up the stairs. I guess so. That, that, that Maybe that's it. But yeah, I always kind of, she, she seemed very drugged to me. Yeah. Um, but, and we get, yeah, we get some more goons. Batman takes them out. Another definite kill on Batman's belt. Oh yeah. When he threw a person down the bell tower. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> in bad graphics. And it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, that guy's fucking dead. At one point, Vicky sees Batman kind of behind the Joker. Uh, and so she tries to distract him by like kissing up on him, doing doing a little foreplay, trying to distract the Joker because we know the Joker thinks with his dick. Right. <laughs> and that was a weird yeah. scene for me yeah. again as an adult because it's like if she's heading where i think she's heading <laughs> yes that's yeah. exactly where she was heading. um then this is like a really this must be really awkward for batman yeah <laughs> it made me think of i wonder if the joker's jizz is poisonous oh my because <laughs> he is poisonous and then that made me think of an actual storyline from spider-man that's that yeah. i think it was mary jane died from cancer because Spider-Man's jizz was radioactive. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a fucking real storyline. Yeah. Like he yep. says like, uh, because every night I would, you know, I was <laughs> giving her my radioactive. I didn't say it exactly like that. Right, right. But that's a legitimate fucking. Uh, yeah. So that just made me think is, is the Joker's. Uh, yeah. And so anyway, that was my train of thought that her going down on the Joker made me think of that. <laughs> the Joker's blood is toxic. So I bet his jizz is too. <laughs> yeah it's like vicky vale no yeah exactly for multiple reasons yeah yes uh but luckily i am sure before she even unzips batman kind of pops up and he return and he repeats the line that the joker has said to him before excuse me have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight he starts beating the crap out of the joker uh, we get a very, I think, a funny spot of the Joker putting on glasses. And he says, you wouldn't hit a guy with glasses. Then Batman hits him right, <laughs> right in the face. Yeah. He's like a never-ending supply of gags with, like, the teeth chattering and like, the glasses. Yes. And it's, it's just a, it's a great scene. I love I love this end battle between them. And at one point, so they all kind of, like, at one point they end up uh, falling kind of off a ledge. And the Joker kind of is up on top of them. Uh, and he's trying to escape uh, in this helicopter and Batman attaches one of these gargoyles, that's uh, a statue that's outside the building, to the Joker's leg uh, as he's trying to leave like on this helicopter. That just makes me cringe every time I see it. I'm just like, what a horrible way to go. Yeah. What a horrible way to go. <laughs> I thought you were going to talk, you're talking about the actual bad graphics of the Joker <laughs> oh. falling. That shot was awful. Yeah. That was scary to me as a kid. Yeah. I mean, it's scary, but it just looked it looked really bad. Yeah, it did. <laughs> so obviously the Joker is dead. Batman and Vicky Vale and they fall and they end up kind of saving themselves with a grappling hook. Uh, and we cut to Joker dead on the ground. And this weird laughter is coming from his pocket. Super creepy. <laughs> and. 
and there is no way if you fall from that height that he are going to be so pristine. That guy would have been splattered across the fucking pavement. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That, I always wondered, like, I even remember, like, wondering as a little kid, like, is that really the the Joker then? Or was it, like, a fake Joker planted? I don't know how he would have possibly survived that. I do have to say, like, when Batman saved himself and, and Vicky Vale, too, like... They would have died as well yeah. if they stopped that abruptly. <laughs> yes. Like, you kind of have to, like, swing with that. That's, like, the reason, like, Spider-Man ended up killing Gwen Stacy was because, like, she stopped mm-hmm. so abruptly. It snapped her neck. Yeah, yeah, they stopped way too quickly. There's no way he would have, like, still been able to hold on. He would have just, right. he would have, le- yeah, and he would have fallen. They would have died, and that would have been that. Yep. <laughs> and I would have been okay with that because I really don't like Vicky Vale in this movie all that much. <laughs> and then we're kind of... Getting towards the end, or we're, we're at the end, basically, we get uh, Commissioner Gordon showing uh, the press the bat signal. Vicky Vale gets picked up by Alfred, so apparently she's going to return in a movie. I'm sure we'll see her next time. <laughs> Not. <laughs> she should have just died at the cathedral. Yes. Yeah, she should have. That would have made much more sense for the character. We end in a shot of Batman on a rooftop uh, with the signal going behind him. A really good shot, though, that, we, yeah. that it ends with. Yeah, really cool. Final thoughts. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. I still love this movie. No matter how dated you may find it or how wrong your musical tastes are. <laughs> I really I really did enjoy this movie a lot. I had again, I have a lot of nostalgic feelings for it because it is kind of the first memory I have of going to see a movie or you know, the first my first movie going experience in a theater is really of this movie and I watched it with my family and actually my daughter loved it so much that she asked to watch it again the next day. DC fan of the making. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm okay with that. There's a lot of worse things she could turn into, so if <laughs> if the worst thing is that she's a DC fan, I'll I'll deal with it. <laughs> But, I would uh, say there's some there's some strong female characters in the yeah, DC there are. universe, so that's probably pretty good for her. Yeah, I actually recently started. Uh, I only got only grabbed a few issues, but I recently started uh, reading the New Fifty Two version of uh, Batgirl. Oh yeah. At, for as much I would say, for as much shit as uh, Adam and I give, uh, especially to you for DC stuff, <laughs> we do actually enjoy a lot of DC characters and and some of the comics. I'm sure. But back to the movie. I really love it. I hold it in a lot of nostalgic light. I have nothing but positive thoughts for it. Yeah, I mean, it's not its not like the perfect Batman film, but for what it is, it's fantastic. I, I think it's, it's a really great interpretation of the character. I think Tim Burton is one of the few directors who has this gothic vision and it can really use it to great effect for this character. Uh, I thought the, the casting choices were fantastic. Jack Nicholson as the Joker, I know for a lot of people, is the Joker. And, you know, seeing it again for the first time in a long time, I totally get that. He definitely has, like, the most comic-accurate look. And just, like, his mannerisms, the laugh, just th- his lines, it's all fantastic. It's, it's just a fantastic film. Uh, so yeah, uh, and rewatching it for me, it's been a sim- similar enough amount of time, similar to you. And I, I know I loved this movie as a kid. It'll always have a place in my heart for being an early superhero film that really helped shape the genre and helped solidify superheroes and superhero movies as like as a real fucking thing. And yeah. This movie did a great job of that. Um, but being honest, <laughs> I don't think this movie is great anymore. I used to what? always be like, oh, this is a great film. Rewatching it again, it's not great. Like, it's good. It's good. And there are some really good moments and some good aspects to it. 
rewatching it again, it actually it took a step down for me. What? <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, there are things that I like about it. Uh, it's things I really like about it, but it's not great. It felt slow at times. The pacing, the story felt slow. Um, Batman wasn't as badass as I thought. I like the look of him. I really like Michael Keaton as Batman, but in general, he wasn't as badass as I thought I remember him being. He, yeah, he's kind of a weak fighter. I think this Batman, maybe he could get his ass kicked by Adam West's Batman. Like, it was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty weak sauce. It, the film had some lacking things for me, particularly some of the writing, not the, not the one-liners. There were some really good, like, one-liners or just other things like that, and some of, like, the reactionary uh, lines were pretty cool. But there were some weak spots, and very much on the acting side, and mostly that was Kim Basinger, I think, I really, I, I didn't like Kim Basinger at all in this movie. I didn't like her relationship. I didn't like her story. I, did, I wanted her gone. There's a lot of good stuff with this film. But for me, it took a step back from being a great movie to now it's now it's a good movie. Okay. I can kind of see where you're coming from. I think you're being overly critical, but. Yeah, I think you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, fuck, <laughs> fuck you guys. I'm allowed to have my own opinion. Fuck you. <laughs> All right, now we are going to talk about the TV show Swamp Thing. It aired from 1990 to 1993. It lasted three seasons and 72 episodes, and it aired on the USA Network. It was one of their original programming. Yeah, it was like on basic cable. (laughs) Yeah, and actually at one point, it was the highest rated original show that they had on uh, USA. It starred Mark Lindsay Chapman... As Dr. Anton Arcane, the main villain. Ugh. Yeah, he's... Whew, talk about overacting. Uh, we'll get, we'll get into this that. super smarmy. Like he, it's like the most smarmy TV <laughs> yeah. villain ever. And it also starred Dick Durock uh, as the Swamp Thing. And he also actually was the same guy who played the Swamp Thing in the 1982 movie and right. sequel. The history... I just kind of want to ask you guys about what do you remember... From watching the show, because I I kind of only really remember the show on kind of reruns uh, on the USA Network, and then I think they also showed it later on Sci-Fi down the line. Mm-hmm. This wasn't a show that I really really watched when I was a kid, but I definitely have have glimpses. It's kind of like some memory of it. I, I remember watching it as a kid. This was my first introduction to Swamp Thing. I watched the show before I knew about the movies. I watched the show before I knew he was even a, a comic book character. or a DC comic character. I remember, like, I definitely remember the opening sequence. The swamp is my world. It is who I am. It is what I am. I was once a man. I know the evil men do. Do not bring your evil here. I warn you. Beware the wrath of swamp. It's a pretty cool setup. You just see shots of the swamp and, you know, Swamp Thing's like, the swamp is my world. Just a great voice. The the VO, it was meant to be intimidating, but to me, it was just kind of fucking bad. <laughs> well, what, I mean, it it is now, but then, like that, I'm with you. I'm with, uh, I'm with Johnny and I, that's how I remember it. I remember the opening. I remember, and my introduction to the Swamp Thing was the same thing. It was the TV show. I'm pretty sure I started watching it with our dad. Okay. Our dad was pretty pretty well into sci-fi stuff. I'm pretty sure he introduced me to it, and really it was just me watching whatever he was watching, and he probably watched Swamp Thing, and that was my introduction to the character as well. I didn't even I had no idea he was actually a comic book character. Yeah, 
I, I like this for me. I think the most memorable thing. And again, I'm gonna sound like a, a huge pussy because <laughs> everything terrifies me apparently. <laughs> but like the last shot of like the opening sequence where it just like the green glowing eyes. It wasn't like in every episode. It wasn't until like the later yeah. episodes where they introduced that. But that it was like ah to me when I was younger. Yeah. No, it was creepy. It was especially you know for kids. It's it can be a little intimidating. Yeah. It looked fucking awful. It was a, uh, you know, obviously an animated eye that popped up. Yeah, it was like drawn on there with like Microsoft yes, Paint. Yes, drawn on. It was a freeze frame and it yeah, an animated drawn eye that that opens and it uh it looks so bad. Maybe as a kid, I have no nostalgic or very little nostalgic light for this film, so uh-huh. I will I'm not going to be holding much back in this review. <laughs> I always thought that the suit looked really cool that uh Yeah, Dick, okay. What is the name Dick yeah, Dick Durock. Dick Durock. Uh, Which is suit- a great name, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, uh, the suit was cooler in the uh, in the TV show, and especially like later on episodes, like in season three, than it ever was in the movie. In the, in, I don't know if you guys have seen the movies, but the movie yeah. costume was very like leathery and just like not very viney. Right. The suit here, I think, is 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 really makes uh, really stands out for this show. I agree on that point. I definitely agree on that point. Yeah. I mean, if there's one thing that we can give this show, it's the suit looks pretty okay. <laughs> <laughs> and like the fact that like it apparently weighed like 80 pounds and probably more as the show progressed and it got like more involved. But like to shoot that, because like, they filmed this in Florida. Yes. In, in the swamp, that must have been hell. I would say the suit looks good as long he's as he's not moving in it. <laughs> the second the second he starts moving, he has like very little range of motion. Not just obviously in his neck, but his arms can't do anything because he's got that huge just thing all over his <laughs> neck and shoulders that he can't. He when he has to do fight scenes, they look atrocious and and comical at how bad the fight scenes are. That is also true. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, well, lucky lucky for him, like, he's kind of a side character in his own show. Yeah. He's like, a majority <laughs> of the time, you know, something else is happening between other characters, and then they just, like, cut to, like, the Swamp Thing, just, like, staring. And then, like, <laughs> yes. that's it. And then that's it. You know, he, he has such little screen time. It's ridiculous. It, it, yes. And and his he interacted with people so little. It was just... Also... Yeah, the story. I want to talk about the fucking story. <laughs> this is like hands in face position just because I don't I don't know how to discuss this kind of show. Yeah, the way you put it, they just kind of intercut random things of the Swamp Thing just staring or kind of doing an inner monologue or, or talking out loud to the Swamp for no fucking reason. Yeah. And there would be other storylines happening with humans that would go nowhere. <laughs> yeah. That, that didn't tie in with the Swamp Thing at all. And it's just like, why am I watching these random people at this random moment? It doesn't make any fucking sense. And we keep cutting back to them. But yet they're not tied into the Swamp Thing story. And they're not tied into what's happening with Anton Arcane. Just kind of like very, right, very completely random people are like, uh, God damn this fucking show. <laughs> it's not a good show uh, at all. It really I isn't. Don't think. Well, I mean, especially the earlier episodes. The, I don't know if you guys saw, watched, have seen the pilot. I did, yeah. Oh, I didn't watch the pilot. I watched episode one. I watched, yeah, I watched episode one. The pilot. Yeah, well, the, the, I mean, that's even interesting. Like, the, the order of the episodes throws me off, and I guess it throws a lot of people off. But uh, the, the first episode that I watched was just the freaking worst. It, it starts off with, like, the young boy Jim 
saving like a dwarf who's been like strung upside yes, down. Yes, okay, same one. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah we, we watched the same one. It's really bad. That episode was fucking horrible. Antiron <laughs> yeah. Arcane was just uh, I I don't know what he was doing in that cave of his with all those like creatures. It was just really really bizarre. Jim was like uh, really annoying as a kid to me. Let me I'll give you a little bit about what happened to Jim. So they started off and they wanted to have like this Kip family. Uh, in, in, you know, kind of be tied in with the Swamp Thing. Yeah. And yeah, that kid, he was a terrible fucking kid actor. <laughs> one of the, the weirdest thing about episode one is did no no one was shocked when they saw the Swamp Thing. Right? No one. Right? They saw him and they're just like, oh, hey, what are you? And it's like, what the fuck? Or when they saw, like, <laughs> any of Anton Arcane's, like, creations, like that, like, like the Toad guy who first went up yes. to him, and it was like, like, you know, the kid was like, uh, and then, you know, Swamp Thing appears behind him out of nowhere, by the way, yeah. and then like Jim turns around, and it was just like one of the most cringe-inducing lines. He was like, "If I was a dumb kid, I would think I was dreaming." And then something was like, "Only dumb kids dream." Yeah, only, <laughs> only dumb kids dream. <laughs> yeah, what a terrible fucking line! I know, it was really bad. And then like like uh, something like later on, like goes to fight this guy who's beating up a dwarf, and then like the guy was like, "Well, it was only a he was only a dwarf." And yeah. then, like it just like who wrote this? It is really that yeah. guy isn't impressed at all by Swamp Thing. Every any given Tuesday in fucking Florida swamp, you see a swamp creature. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. It was really bad. So I want to talk about. So they originally were gonna have like and like for the first like thirteen episodes, they had that Jim Kip kid and like kind of the Kip family uh, as a, a reoccurring character. Yeah. yeah. But eventually they kind of wanted to go a little darker turn for the show. It was a different showrunner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, f- the first guy stopped after like those first original. Which which to me was surprising because I guess the original showrunner was also the showrunner for The Outer Limits, uh, like oh, the, the original. Okay. So I'm surprised it was as bad as it was because The Outer Limits was, was, was pretty cool. Yeah. Also pretty creepy. But no, yeah, I guess they brought in a new showrunner who, who didn't want like the kid-friendly angle or whatever. So what they did was, uh, I think I just saw... That they had the kid, he was abducted, like in like episode 12 or 13 or whatever. 13. Jim was abducted by a South American child stealing ring uh, under the orders of Arcane. Yeah. And then he never appears again. I saw that. I, <laughs> no, he doesn't. I saw that episode because like I I'd, I'd, oh, I'd heard about it. And I was like, I have to see this shit for myself. <laughs> so it's like it's like the one episode I saw where like Swamp Thing actually has a fight scene, which which was pretty cool. He got like thrown through a window and stuff like that. But yeah, Jim, like he gets sent to South America to be a slave by Anton Arcane, and then like they fake his death. They, like, take that toad creature that was stalking him in the pilot episode. They put him, like, under a car with a bicycle and set the car on fire. So, like, his mom and his stepbrother, Will, assume that he's dead. So, they're like, oh, we don't need to look for him. So, they (laughs) never do. And the episode just ends with him, like, shirtless in a cage, just, you know, being shipped off to to South America. And it's like, yeah, the the next episode, they're, like, not even worried about Will because he's fucking dead, according to them. So, yeah, it's it's horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> That's awful. Uh, um, if you don't know anything about the Swamp Thing character, so the Swamp Thing is kind of this swampy-looking creature who just kind of protects the environment and then protects the, the, his swamp. I know he's got a bunch of extra powers in the comic books, yeah. but in the show, 
he's really, it's just all about that swamp that he lives in and kind of like he helps random people kind of if, as long as they're near the swamp uh, and, and he just kind of helps to, to protect mother earth and the environment of the swamp. Yeah. And the show, I I guess he has like, he's a little bit strong and he can Mm -hmm. like heal people. Yes. Yeah. He can randomly heal people because he healed uh, the dwarf in the first episode. Yeah. He brought, uh, there was an episode where he actually killed arcane and then brought him back to life later. That's dumb. <laughs> That's one of the things I really hate about the show is that everyone knows what a piece of shit Arcane is. Swamp Thing knows what a piece of shit Arcane is, and yet he doesn't do anything about it. It's just the whole town apparently works for Arcane. They all know he's a horrible being, but no one does anything about it. It's ridiculous. Uh, one of the episodes that I watched, uh, Arcane was like making this weird like earthquake machine. At one point, the uh, Swamp Thing had to kind of like go down into like this cave or whatever where they were doing it to try and stop him and he he couldn't get enough light and so swamp thing had to like create this hole so he could get sun to photosynthesize oh yeah and then he shot this light beam to the machine that was creating the earthquakes and basically he just said ah the combination of oxygen and light should stop this machine <laughs> and i'm like what the fuck that doesn't even make any sense machines aren't stopped by light and oxygen <laughs> Like, it's a machine. That's hilarious. What the fuck? That's hilarious. They, it just, none of the writing made sense. None of the, I think he just probably kept getting different powers depending on what he needed. Well, it was very inconsistent because, like, I remember, yeah. I remember, like, this one episode that actually had uh, Ray Wise. Mm, oh, yeah. He was the guy who played um, Alec Holland in the, mo- in the movie. Oh, But okay. for some reason, he actually had, like, a guest spot in the third season. Which was really weird, I'm sure, for people who actually watched the Wes Craven film. So, like, in, in that one, like, he, Swamp Thing essentially, like, has his arm ripped off. And, like, in the movie, he was able to regrow his arm. Yes, I, t- I remember that scene, actually. I very have a vivid memory of that scene. Yeah, it was a cool scene in the movie. But in the TV show, he couldn't do that. And it's just, it, yeah, it was just, like, really inconsistent. It's just not a good show. Like, yeah. I, by any means. The writing was god-awful. The acting was god-awful. Everything was god-fucking-awful. They they explained the dialogue. They explained everything over dialogue. You never saw something happen. You were told about everything. The sound design was straight-up just missing sound effects at times. And I just... (laughs) It's just terribly done. I am not a godly man. I'm not a holy man by any means. But I was on my knees praying and, and just so happy that this show was only 30 minutes it was only a 23 minute show right. and not an hour long and so i could able like it was really short i could get through episodes even as ridiculously shitty as it was yeah the episodes were, were really short like sometimes it felt like they just like ended abruptly because they just had to meet like, meet, like the 23 minute time frame and they were just like, well, we're not going to continue that. Just end the show at random, a random spot. I remember seeing this one episode. Yeah. It was called like Falco. <laughs> it was about how Anton Arcane turned a bird into a human. And so the bird w- human was all pissed off and trying to kill Anton Arcane. But then like at the end of the episode, <laughs> he, he realizes that like he was able to save Will who, or Jim who was drowning. And he was like, oh, I couldn't have done that if I was a bird. And th- then like they're just like having a conversation and then the show just ends. <laughs> like, what, what happened to where's jim what's going on the probably the most surprising thing to me 
is this show has like a cult following. Yeah. Like a legitimate cult following that people like this show and like enough that they brought this back in syndication on the sci-fi channel. Yeah. I watched three episodes and I'm utterly shocked that it lasted for three seasons. I was too. 72 episodes. <laughs> did like, you? holy fuck. Did you watch anything from season three? Uh, no, I only ended up watching once from season one. That's all I could find. I couldn't, I didn't find season three. The, uh, the season three episodes, the show definitely gets a better production value. It looks better uh, okay. later on. And it, the, the writing is a little bit better. I think to me, the appeal may be in that it was almost like uh, like an early X-Files kind of thing. Just like strangeness. Just but It all happens in one location, obviously, like around the swamp. But, uh, it has to be around the swamp. <laughs> I, I'm I'm definitely intrigued to maybe catch more of the later episodes. If anyone's interested in watching the show, I would say steer very clear of season one, like as far as you can. Yeah. All right. What about you, John? You've been fairly quiet. What are you? What are your thoughts on the uh, show? I I would say just steer clear of the whole show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have a I have a nostalgic remembrance of it, and I'm I'm grateful for the show for introducing me to the character of Swamp Thing, only because I had not I was not familiar with the movies, and I never would have found out about it if it weren't for the show. And you know, when I was a kid, I guess we didn't have a lot of options because I really liked watching <laughs> the show. <laughs> you had to take what you could yeah. get. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. but yeah, going back, it's absolutely horrible. So, yeah. uh, unless you like just loved the show as a kid and 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 have that nostalgic love for it, don't bother. Watch the films instead. Yeah. Okay, uh, I stand correct. Watch the first film instead because the second okay. film, <laughs> not Return, I don't have fond memories of at all. But the Wes Craven one is not the worst. I mean, the suit is horrible, <laughs> but like the music is cool. I don't know the 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 uh, special effects. Uh, especially with like Anton Arcane, it's it's kind of creepy for sure. All right, just uh, no, fucking stay. I'm gonna uh, get, get no, no, just no, <laughs> just fucking no. <laughs> is all I'm gonna say about that. <laughs> This episode of the Blast from Our Past podcast is brought to you by Micro Machines. This is the Micro Machine Man presenting the most midget miniature motorcade of Micro Machines. Each one has dramatic details, terrific trims, defenders, silent precision paint jobs, working wheels, Micro Machine cars of vast variety, including Lamborghini, Trans Am, Corvette, Rover, Four Blades, a pickup charger, and many more. Micro Machine planes, polished, perfect precision, like F-15, Corsair, Space Shuttle, P-51, Mustang, Micro Machine boats, a fabulous fleet of tugs, PTs, and speedboats. Talk about small! Micro Machines are less gargantuan than a grip. Hopper's midget is a marvel and smaller than a silver dollar. He does! You want to get more Micro Machines to add to our collection? Yeah! A miniature midget colossal collection of micro-machines. Collect them, trade them, raise them. The micro-machines set sold separately from Galoob. They're really small. All right, and now we're going to do our casting. Uh, and since we've been doing an all-DC uh, episode, I think actually we asked you specifically, Jonathan, about what you think would be a fun DC team to cast, and you suggested Justice League Dark. Yeah. So we thought it'd be fun that when we had you on that that uh, that we all do this particular team. It has um, Swamp Thing in it, so I thought, you know. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, it worked. It worked perfect. Um, so uh, the team itself, or at least the iteration that we're going to do, uh, consists of John Con. Constantine, Madame Xanadu, Dead Man, Zatanna, Black Orchid, Etrigan, and Swamp Thing. I'll be honest, most of these are characters I'm not at all familiar with. Mm -hmm. However, I will say, I've been happy to listen to a few of y'all's episodes for background stories. I, I have to say, of your of the episode stuff you do, your duels are my favorite. Yeah, they're my favorite to do. Sometimes, especially when we have to like review a Marvel film, I'm like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> can, we get, can we just Asshole. get to a duel already? 
<laughs> well, and especially because one, I'm I'm admittedly not as familiar with the DC canon, but especially like some of the more obscure characters, uh, it's really nice to get a background on the character and where they fit into the broader universe. And I really like that about yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's a it's a lot of fun too because like you know I don't know some of these more obscure characters. I don't know too much about them as well you know I've, I've seen all of them make appearances in comics but but doing the research and and uh just becoming more familiar with them as i do that is is also part of the part of the fun of doing the podcast cool so let's uh let's see here do we want to go do we want to start with constantine or do we want to start with swamp thing since we just finished talking about that let's start with swamp thing cool so we'll, we'll work backwards off the that list and constantine's kind of like he's basically almost like the leader of yeah. justice league dark at, at to an extent right he's the leader who doesn't want to be the leader he's the leader okay. who doesn't want to have dealings with really anyone <laughs> but i would say of all the of all the characters swamp thing is probably the most culturally well known just because of of the movies and the tv show i think more people are familiar with swamp thing than than anyone else on this team I enjoy the Constantine movie that Keanu Reeves did. I did uh, too. Like in 2005, yeah. It got a lot of flack when it came out. We haven't reviewed it yet on our podcast. We will. But yeah, I, I really liked that film too. I really, yeah, I really did too. I didn't, I didn't, I know a lot of people gave him flack because he wasn't British in the movie, but right. that didn't bother me, but that's neither here nor there. So let's go ahead and start with Swamp Thing. And I would actually like to hear our guest pick first. Okay. All right. So for me... Swamp Thing, you're really casting Alec Holland because in the comics, the the character of of Swamp Thing is actually it, it, well, it, it changed. It started off with Swamp Thing being Alec Holland, who was like mutated in the swamp through like a chemical process. He was transformed into like this plant human hybrid creature. But when Alan Moore came on the series and it really reinvigorated the series, he made it much more supernatural than scientific. It wasn't like a chemical accident. It was this mystical spirit, I guess you could say, the green, who confused itself for being a guy who, a scientist who died in the swamp, Alec Holland. So Swamp Thing is supposed to be this uh, plant creature who thinks it's Alec Holland. So it tries to take his form. To me, Swamp Thing has always been like this imposing, huge, bulky kind of figure. So I was looking for an actor who kind of fit that bill, who is, you know, kind of, you know, tall and uh imposing i went with idris elba okay oh yeah he's got a good voice he has a great voice he could be for something yeah 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 i think not only does he possess like the physical figure but he sort of has like this uh nobility to him i guess in a way both like you know just in in his facial expressions and his 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 performances like look at something like Heimdall. Yeah, it, right. it's, there's something almost like regal to him, and I, I think the character of, of Swamp Thing is supposed to be like this manifestation of essentially all plant life on the planet, and is sort of like this noble figure. So I, I thought Idris Elba was would be a, a good choice. I like that choice. Uh, I myself, yeah, I thought two things. I needed a big guy with a deep voice. Yeah, they can change the voices and stuff around and other stuff, but I wanted somebody who already had that naturally deep voice and they could just add a little bit to it. So I went with a guy who's actually uh, very noted as being a comic book fan and has actually written comics for both Marvel and DC. Uh, I went with the actor Kevin Graveau. Oh, yeah. He's, I mean, he's a big dude. I think I, I think I cast him as something a long time ago. Yeah. But yeah, I like that. I like that choice. I'm not familiar with he's him. He's got a, he's got a great low voice. 
I I actually cast him in a kind of a similar character. I cast him as my creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, that's right. In the Universal Monsters episode, it's kind of kind of funny, very similar esque kind <laughs> yeah, of character. Actually, yes. Oh, I know him. He was uh, actually one of the writers of uh, the Underworld franchise. Or, yeah, yeah. yes, film. he was in Underworld as well. Cool. That's a good choice. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, good choices, guys. Uh, you might not like my choice because the last time we all talked about him, we were ripping him and his movie apart. <laughs> uh, and he's not the best. He's not the best actor, but he is big. He's like six six, and I know he can wear prosthetics because in the movie X Men Wolverine Origins. He wore a bunch of prosthetics as the Blob. Oh. Uh, I went with Kevin Durand as my Swamp Thing. I don't hate that choice. I think Kevin Durand. That's not bad. I mean, you know, I think the role in the movie that for Wolverine Origins was shit, but Kevin yeah. Durand, <laughs> I think, is actually a pretty decent character actor. He's he's done a small reoccurring role in like Vikings, and yeah, uh, he's been in a bunch of bunch of things. So I think I think he would be a good call, and he's got some size. Yeah, he's he's a big dude. Yeah, so. he's really tall. Uh, yeah, I mean all. All three of us made some pretty pretty solid calls there. Yeah, but I think I win. Pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yours is the best actor of the three. Yes. <laughs> Just choosing the best actor <laughs> isn't the best. I'm not gonna put like I'm gonna put Sydney Portier as everything <laughs> on here, and so I win it all. Daniel Day Lewis for Swamp Thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be method. He'd he'd live yeah, in the swamp for a month before him. <laughs> All right, uh, so now we're going to go to a character called Etrigan. Jonathan, what can you tell us about this guy? I'm going to be asking you a lot th- this a lot. Oh, yeah, no, that's that's fine. We actually did uh, an episode, a dual episode on our podcast between Etrigan and Ghost Rider. And in that episode, I, I go through his whole backstory. But essentially, the idea behind Etrigan is that he's a demon who's been bound to the soul of uh, an ancient roundtable knight. In, of Arthurian legend named Jason Blood. And he was bound to him by the wizard Merlin. So the two is, is you almost have like a Hulk kind of relationship, but it's two distinct characters and they essentially just hate each other. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic. The demon really, really loves to turn Jason Blood's life into hell. Just like, you know, <laughs> like, as in like kill his family and everything like that. Jason Blood is a very tortured yet immortal being okay. um, who, who happens to have this badass demon attached to him. Cool. I'm going to go ahead and jump in because you're probably not going to like my pick because I was thinking more of Etrigan than Jason Blood. Uh-huh. So I sort of cast that accordingly because I imagine it's going to be a lot of either prosthetics or um, CG. Right. So yeah, I, I I would hope I would hope prosthetics. Honestly, personally, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So I wanted somebody who can work the the physical aspects of it. I went with Ray Park. Oh yeah. So yeah, Etchigan is supposed to be like this, like you know, shorter kind of character who's very, you know, agile and nimble, but also really strong. If you put Ray Park in like a huge like muscle suit, I could totally see that. Yeah, he's got. He's just. I, I, he's not like wide enough. For Etrigan, in my opinion, yeah. I don't okay. know if that makes sense. Ray Park, Ray Park's very thin, and he's a great martial artist, and he has like that that kind of like toned look. But Etrigan's Etrigan's kind of like short and stout, and like he's like a goblin. Yeah, yeah, he's bulky, like a bulky good, goblin. Yeah. Um, but it's not. I'm sure he can make it work. Ray Park's solid, and they they would find enough. You know, if they could put muscles on Chuck to become Shazam, <laughs> they could find they could find uh, a way to make Ray Park Etrigan. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, for me, this casting was was all was more about Jason Blood than it was about Etrigan. Okay, just because you know you take a look at the Marvel films with like Mark Ruffalo and the Hulk, or you know his own film with Edward Norton, the Hulk's own film with Edward Norton and the Hulk. To me, I think th- that would be more of the approach you would take with this character because the the physical statures of, of both Jason Blood and Etrigan are, are so so different. Okay. If you didn't do like separate castings for each character, then Etrigan I think would have to be CG. And in that vein, I wanted to choose an actor who had a lot of experience with mocap because ideally they would play the Etrigan character as well as Jason Blood. And so I chose uh Andy Circus because he's a little uh. bit older. He I think he, is he British or is he Australian? I think he's New Zealand, I thought. But I maybe. actually think he's British. Oh really? Oh, damn it. Well, I, I do think he could pull off a, a pretty decent British accent. And considering that Jason Blood was a knight of the round table, uh, I thought that was important. Yeah, he was, he was born in uh, West London, so he's British. Sweet. Perfect casting choice again. <laughs> we, I will never, never shit on an Andy Circus casting. Yeah. Um, because he's great in everything. And honestly, I want to see more actual Andy Circus. Yeah. Like, yeah. His, as a human, because I loved... His character in I loved his Ulysses Claw in the Black Panther yeah, film. Yeah, and I, I want to see him act. I just want to see him actually act more. But even obviously, all of his uh, mocap stuff is fantastic. And the great thing with this role is that he gets to do both. And it's, it's not like Marvel is using him right now. You know, they just killed off his character. So right, <laughs> yes, yeah, true, true, <laughs> true. Idiots. So I went with uh, an actor who I think could do both Jason Blood and Etrigan. Uh, In my opinion, I wanted somebody who could deal with some prosthetics, uh, who could basically, you know, he's a good actor in his own right, but also he would be fine with uh, putting on the time and then putting on the makeup and prosthetics to be Etrigan as well. I went with Joel Egerton. Oh, okay. Is who's in the film Bright and yep. had a lot of prosthetics in that film. Yep. Yeah, I think he could play Etrigan pretty damn well. I think so. That's that's that was mainly Bright was my main reasoning for casting him here. Okay, I love that uh, choice. Actually, I could totally see him playing that role. He definitely has like the like the facial just like look of what I imagine like Etrigan yes. would have. Yeah, he's a little bit. Yeah, exactly. He's kind of got like a stouter. Yeah, a little bit wider. Yeah, and I, I think he he kind of he could definitely pull. It and off. he's a really good actor. Yeah, I, I like your choice a lot. Cool. Yay. I won that one. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to Black Orchid. Um, admittedly, a lot of these characters I just went based on look because I don't know too uh-huh. much about them. Yeah. Can you just give us a, a quick something about Black Orchid? Yeah. So uh, Black Orchid is a, a character. She's actually had a few different iterations in the comics. Uh, the one that was in Justice League Dark, I think her name was Elba Garcia. Um, and she was a government agent who, I forget her specific origin, but essentially, she uh, had pheromone powers, and like uh, she could also disguise her look. Like she could like uh, transform into other people. She was like a plant-based creature, kind of similar to Swamp Thing. But uh, yeah, she was a government agent. Okay, uh, Adam, why don't you start this one? Yeah, uh, I admittedly don't know much about Black Orchid, but in kind of my research, I kind of really tried to focus on like the disguise aspect. Yeah. So kind of, as you mentioned, yeah, she, she jumps between different characters uh, or kind of, if you will, and like different disguises. And so I went with an actress who does almost that exact same thing on a TV show called Orphan Black that oh. she jumps between kind of different, different uh, costumes and different kind of, she's into like, as different characters. I went with the main actress, Tatiana Maslany, uh, who is Orphan Black in that show. Cause it's a very kind of similar 
type of character who just has to, yeah, she's constantly, you know, ch- changing her style and acting in different ways. And so I think that fits with at least that, that multiple disguise kind of thing of, of Black Orchid. Damn it. I love that. That's, I love that so much more than my choice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's a great choice. So what did you, what did you pick? I went with uh, Rosario Dawson. Okay. Because she's, you know, she's... Yeah, my pick's better. She's <laughs> she's uh, she's appeared in a few, uh, you know, comic properties over the years. And I thought, I don't know. I don't know why I cast her. I just like her. That's, she's good. She's a good actress. Yeah. I, I give her that. Yeah. That's all right. Admittedly, I also, I basically just casted this one on look. And I don't even know if it was really that accurate. I was just finding someone who I thought would, I kind of looked up pictures of the, of the costume. I was like, oh, I bet she would look good in the costume. I actually went with the actress Olivia Holt, who was recently in Cloak and Dagger. Okay, yeah, I know her. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure what costume you would go with for this movie. Because, like, she's had so many different looks. In, in some looks, like, she wears, like, this purple, like, leaf outfit which is kind yeah, of interesting i saw that and in another other she looks like like a purple kind of like smoky naked sprite <laughs> i guess olivia holt would look good in either all right let, let's let's just yeah, say, oh, yeah she looks good in everything or or nothing <laughs> <laughs> let's just say adam one and move on <laughs> yeah okay yes i'm happy with that <laughs> okay zatanna who i was happy to find some information about in a recent episode you guys did yeah yep we pit her against a Scarlet Witch. And you'll have to listen to find out who won. Exactly. That's right. That's right. Uh, I'll go ahead and jump in. There was uh, there was a lot of different actresses I thought could work really well in this role, but I decided to cast someone who I just, I don't think anyone would ever see in a superhero role. And I'd like to see her in something like this. I actually went with uh, Mila Kunis. Oh. Hmm. I, uh, yeah. That could work. Yeah, I don't. I don't hate that choice. Okay, I'll take. She's I'll, cool. She can. She can be badass when she needs to be. Yeah, you've seen her in those like Jack Daniels whiskey commercials. Yeah. She looks badass. <laughs> and she could be, a, you know, a pretty good actress too. Like you know, in Black Swan, I thought she yeah, was yes. great in that. So for me, for my casting choice, this. I mean, this is a pretty diverse set of characters. You know, you have one character, you know, who's you know of Latin descent, and uh, there are other characters. You know, it, it's it's pretty diverse for. Zatanna, I was looking for someone with Italian heritage, just because Zatanna is supposed to be a descendant of Leonardo da Vinci. Oh. Oh. So I went with Rooney Mara. Oh, okay. From okay. the girl with the dragon tattoo fame. Yeah. yeah. I don't hate that choice. No, I mean, she's got a, kind of a classic-y kind of Zatanna look. I think that works well. Yeah, and I was I was also looking for someone younger, I guess, to, to play Zatanna because... In the comics, she's supposed to be sort of like this, or at least she works best when like she's like like an up and coming sorcerer and, and, and a stage magician. She's the daughter of the Golden Age superhero Zatara. So, uh, I, yeah, I wanted to cast someone younger. I like that, and actually, when I was like looking up stuff about Zatanna, I did see that she was kind of meant to be a younger actress or a younger character yeah. compared to the other Justice League Dark. Yeah. And even with that, I said, fuck it. I don't want to cast that way. Um, <laughs> and so I cast who I wanted. And so this actress, she 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 might not be my oldest uh, in the group, but but she's definitely not going to be like playing a younger kid. I went with Kate Beckinsale. I went with a very kind of classic Zaytana look in my head. Uh-huh. Uh, she's a badass from Underworld and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. But but that's, yeah, that's who I chose. I will never say bad things about Kate Beckinsale because I think she's awesome. No, yeah, she's, yeah. she's gorgeous. For the longest time, I always wanted to see her as Selena Kyle. Oh yes! Oh, that'd She'd be cool. Been a great Selena Kyle. Oh yeah, yeah. No, yeah. That's that's uh, that's a good choice. 
Nobody, nobody won that one. I do think, <laughs> I do think okay. Rooney Mara is probably the best actress. Oh, fine. Yeah, you so, do. Yes. <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis for Zatanna. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Um, let's move on to the one who actually, I think, had one of the cooler looking characters. Or maybe just, I thought it was the most interesting looking characters, aside from maybe like Swamp Thing. Um, and that's Dead Man. Again, I'm just going to jump in because I mostly just went on look, not knowing a lot about the character. I try to think of someone who would look cool in that makeup and that costume. And I actually went with someone who's played a DC villain before, I think. Uh, I went with Mark Strong. Oh, yeah. He was Sinestro in the Green Lantern film. Yeah. Uh, That's not a bad choice. I'm okay with that. He looks good. Yeah. I mean, he's a he looks a good bald. A, he has a good bald look yeah. to him. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Adam, who'd you pick? So I went with an actor who... So yeah, Deadman has, a, again, a cool look. You know, he's kind of like like an acrobatic kind of look. Uh-huh. You know, he's almost almost got like uh, acrobatic, daredevilish kind of well, yeah. traits to him. He was, he was he a kind of his, uh, trapeze performer yes. in the circus. Yeah, exactly. But I, I mean, that just so I need somebody who's got like a good body and also someone who looks good bald because Deadman <laughs> is definitely bald. I watch this show... Or I've watched. I watched seasons one and two of the show Spartacus. I don't know if you guys watched that show. It was on Stars. No. no, no. I fucking loved it. He was also in the movie Three Hundred as the guy that uh, Gerard Butler kicks down the well when he says, "This is Sparta." Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but he's a he's a really good actor. If you watch the show Spartacus, he's got a great look. His name is Peter Mensa, and he has got a kick-ass body that, like, if you had to have like that dead man suit and like kind of that dead man exact look i think peter mensa would look fucking awesome oh uh, as, yeah as dead man oh, i totally recognize that guy yeah i could see that peter mensa yep i could totally buy that but the correct answer is <laughs> <laughs> no uh so when i was thinking about casting dead man i was trying to think of someone i agree adam who who sort of has like a tighter kind of physical build i guess he, he needs to be really i don't want to say lanky because you also need to have muscle with that yeah and i don't necessarily think this this actor is muscular but i think he could get there um <laughs> i also wanted to choose an actor who had uh like hindu kind of ties because the character of dead man was a trapeze artist who who was shot in his performance and then resurrected by the uh fake hindu deity ramakushna so I, I wanted to him, him to, I guess, choose an Indian actor or uh, an okay. actor from that region. So I went yeah. with uh, Kamal Nanjiani because I also think Dead Man would be like a, a, a comedic role in, in a Justice League Dark film. I accept your reasoning, but I deny your choice. Why? <laughs> yeah, that is not the correct choice. I don't think I don't think he would work very well in that in that role. I love Camille Giangiani, but I don't see him in this. I've seen him bald before. Like he did a skit uh, where he did was playing Dalsim from Street Fighter. I didn't think he looked horrible, so <laughs> okay. I, I think that okay. also he also wore like white contact lenses for, for that bit. So I, right. I I kind of saw him as Dead Man again. I, right. I accept your reasoning, <laughs> but I reject your choice. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that was correct either. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's move on to Madame Xanadu. Uh, do Am I the only one who thinks of the song Xanadu? By the girl from Greece. Uh, Olivia Newton-John. Olivia Newton-John, yes. She has that song, Xanadu. Just me? Yeah, just you. I don't know that song. Fuck you.
Jonathan, can you give us a little, uh, a quick little snippet about Madame Xanadu? Madame Xanadu, she's a fortune teller. She's a tarot card reader. Okay. Okay. And she helps set up, she sends heroes on journeys to stop threats, essentially. That's her whole kind of shtick. Okay. Well, um, why don't you, why don't you tell us who you pick then? Okay. So with Madame Xanadu, I wanted to cast an older actress because the character is supposed to be pretty ancient. She's been around since Arthurian times. Again, she's a tarot reader, and she's worked for a bunch of different empire rulers, one of them being uh, Kublai Khan oh. in, uh, for, for Xanadu, and that's where she gets her name, Madame Xanadu. So I wanted to take the approach that she's an Asian actress. Okay. So I cast Michelle Yao. All right. I, oh, okay. I like Michelle Yao. I yeah. I have nothing bad to say about that. That pick. It's a great. Yeah, she's a, a great pick. actress. I'm sure yeah. she could do a yeah. very good job with yeah. it. And, yeah. You know, she she just you know definitely has that uh, I guess geek cred, having been in, you know like the Jackie Chan films and like most recently like Guardians of the Galaxy and you know all these other like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, she wouldn't have necessarily have so much of a physical role, I think, as this character. But uh, I, I think just her being in the film would lend some extra cred to, to the film. Okay. Um, I'll jump in. Um, I, again, I just kind of went based on, on the look and I went with uh, Catherine Zeta Jones. Oh, I was going to choose her. Whoa. I was going to choose her for the <laughs> longest time. I was like, uh, do I choose her or Michelle? Yeah. That's a good choice. <laughs> I like that choice. Okay. Cool. That, yeah. That is a good choice on all of them. Yeah. I, I went with a younger actress uh, actually, but yeah, I do like that, that choice, both of those choices. Uh, so I went with the younger actress and I kind of tried to, I really wanted to fixate on picking like um, a Middle Eastern actress. Okay. So, uh, because t- tarot cards uh, originated, I think from kind of like Egypt and things like that kind of area. Oh, really? Yeah. So I wanted to try and stick to, and try, and try to just like do, yeah, like a, an Egyptian or a, some kind of Middle Eastern uh, actress. And so I actually went with uh, an Iranian born actress. She's actually best known to me, at least from How I Met Your Mother, she played a character that Barney almost married. Um, her name is Nazanin Baniada, Bonaidi, uh, but she's also done. Uh, oh yeah. Oh, she's, she's also been on Scandal. She's been in Homeland. She's gorgeous. Oh yeah. She's a very like. She's kind of small. I yeah. Think she's kind of short, but she is absolutely stunningly beautiful. Yeah. But she is a good actress, and yeah. I I wanted to try and cast um towards that ethnicity and so yeah that's that was my choice that's a good choice it's a good choice as much as i like the actor um i don't know mm-hmm. how good that is for the role but again i don't really know the character but i yeah. love i love her acting so yeah I, I think good choices all around everyone good job boys yay yay <laughs> go us <laughs> all right uh now our kind of de facto leader uh john constantine i had the hardest time with this one i had a huge list of people who I thought could play the role. Um, Adam, I'm going to have you start us off with this. Yeah, good, because you're going to start off with the best pick. Um, (laughs) And you guys are all going to probably choose him too, because you should, because he is a great choice for this. Constantine, uh, actually, Jonathan, do you want to tell us a little bit about the character before I even dive into it? Yeah, I mean, there's he's a pretty straightforward character. He he he's just uh, an English con man who uses magical trinkets and spells to deal with the supernatural. Um, but he's he's got some good attitude and I think a little bit of comedy as well to him. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a, there's definitely that a comedic aspect. Definitely has attitude. He was based on uh, Sting. He was created by Alan Moore, uh, actually in the Swamp Thing comic. 
Yeah, which is awesome. I almost actually thought about just getting Sting yeah. for the role, yeah. <laughs> um, but Sting's pretty old, yeah. and he's not a great actor if you ever watched Dune. Right. Um, <laughs> so I went with I went back to a British actor because uh, you know try to keep the character British. Uh, I wanted to do that, and I went with an actor who is he's really big right now. He's awesome as an actor, and you know he's got some comedy because he kicked ass in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Up until when he died in the last film, I went with Tom Hiddleston as my John Constantine. I think he is a perfect casting. You're welcome. Drop the mic. That's it. <laughs> huh. I will admit I didn't consider him at all. I didn't consider him as either. <laughs> you guys are very wrong. <laughs> um, I'm going to go ahead and jump in. I had a huge list of people for this. The first person who came to mind was Jude Law. Uh, I kind of t- I tried considering Daniel Radcliffe for a younger Constantine. I actually thought Idris Elba might do an interesting role, mm-hmm. but ultimately I did. Obviously, I was thinking British actors. I did go with someone British. I did go with someone who does a little bit of comedy, um, and I think could probably do a little bit more serious stuff than people really give him credit for. I actually picked the actor Simon Pegg. What? For John Constantine? Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. Are you what? Are you kidding don't me? Don't give me any of this no bull fucking shit. <laughs> he is a great actor. Okay. And he could totally do this role just fine. Uh, uh no. I don't yes. see it. Yes. Uh, I'm, not gonna, no. I'm not going to let you, like, fucking talk to down to me about this fucking choice. <laughs> of all your... That was, that was the worst. There's the worst choice of the entire fucking episode. No. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, yeah, I'll give John that award as well. Worst choice of the entire fucking episode. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Um, Why? Dad, Why? I don't see it. Why is he, he the worst choice? He has a terrible look yeah. for John Constantine. So, terrible look. So John Constantine is supposed to be very attractive. It's part of its his charm. It's part of like his con man <laughs> charm. You know, he's based on Sting, right? When I think of Sting, I don't think of Simon Pegg. <laughs> Why would you? It's a good question. I wouldn't. <laughs> no, no. I, it's not. A, I, I will admit that it's maybe not the best choice, but I'm not going to tell you that it's a horrible choice. Um, I know you're trying to do like this different casting and be like, oh, look how edgy I am with my Simon Pegg casting. You're just fucking wrong, John. No. It's just a bad choice. No, it's not a bad choice. Is he a bad actor? No. no. Then why would he be a bad choice? I think he's too comedic. I, I'm fine with you giving me shit over the uh, the <laughs> the uh, um, Taylor Swift casting, and I knew that was coming. <laughs> but this has no merit other than you just want to give me shit for something. No. I no. think this is a legitimate bad choice. No. You know what? And I'm going to tell you this. All of the controversial castings that we've put out onto Instagram have mostly come back to me. Oh, my God. Mm. We haven't even... Uh, all right, John. Whatever. Um, so, fuck you guys. I'm going home. <laughs> um, wait, don't go home yet. Wait till you hear my choice, because you're going to be like, oh, yeah, I was fucking wrong. So, for John Constantine, for me, it's all about the cockiness. It's all about the look. He has to be you know, an attractive guy. And it's all about being uh, British. To me, that's... that's ex- the three things I was looking for in my Constantine. And I went with a Game of Thrones actor because like every British actor is in Game of Thrones. My choice was uh, Nikolai Col- Coster Waldu. He plays Jamie Lannister in, uh, in Game of Thrones. I don't hate that choice. Yeah, I-, I like him too. He's not better than Tom Hiddleston, but he's a good choice. Uh, I, th- I think he has more of the look. Tom Hiddleston, 
is a little bit more sharp in his features. But he's a good looking dude. He's also very cocky. He's also humorous. Like I, 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 I won that one. Maybe he's too entrenched in no, Marvel. I, I don't know. I'm giving this one to Jonathan. I like <laughs> yeah, Jonathan's choice no. over yours. I win. No. Way, I win again. But your actors, yeah, I don't know. My actor's at least British. Isn't Walter? No, he's not. He's not? Oh. No, he's, no like, he's like Eastern he's, European. He's, no, he's, yeah, he's from Denmark. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, there goes my reasoning for casting. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I still like your pick better. Cool. Cool, cool. Oh, you guys. God damn it. Everyone's. All right. Do your little Instagram thing here, John. Everyone's going to want Tom Hiddleston. I can guarantee you. I'm sure they will. He's a very good looking. It's a popularity contest. Everyone's in love with Tom Hiddleston. Damn straight. Oh, that was our fucking casting for Justice League <laughs> Dark. <laughs> well, I actually have two more castings. Oh. You guys probably didn't do it, but I was just thinking of uh, villains for this. And to me, like, to, uh, to have a villain who would bring this set of characters together it has to be a really big villain. So I was thinking of uh, uh, Lucifer from the comics. Do you guys know, like, uh, the Lucifer TV show? Yes. yes. That's, I've heard of it. I haven't seen that's it. That's actually based on a, a DC comic. Oh, okay. So it, it, it's, it's the same character. But I went with uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Uh, I could see him as as the devil. Yeah, you know yeah. he's like this yeah. like Fair perfect sort of uh, figure in a way. <laughs> and then I also thought uh, a sub villain would be like Anton Arcane. And for him, I went with Daniel Radcliffe because I, I wanted to cast someone a little bit younger and someone who a little bit who could play like uh, cockiness. Yeah, also like someone who looks like they dabble in the occult. And so who better than Harry Potter? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, no, thanks yeah. for adding those on. Yeah, cool. I'm, I'm all right with that. All right. Yeah, at least, at least you didn't put Simon Pegg as any of them. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. <laughs> Please join us next time for our first album review episode. That's right. We are adding album reviews from our nostalgic past to this podcast to try and get you guys more content than ever before. And we're going to start it off with Green Day's Dookie. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows from your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.